I'm always so bad at starting these. Hope you guys appreciate my really, really questionable attempt at set design here. We got going on here. It's kind of a mess. So today's, I guess, was the still the the let's talk about series. I guess whatever the fuck that means. It's just a we just talk about things. It's just a media discussion podcast thing. Um, this one's not going to have Stephanie in it because I don't think Stephanie has shown any interest so far in actually watching The Witcher. So this is just on me this time around. Uh, and I don't know. I kind of want to discuss this in part because I seem to have an unpopular opinion regarding this particular property. Because everyone seems to love this. Just every podcast I listen to, every random person that brings it up, everyone's recommending the show constantly to everybody, and it's so positive. And that is not quite my experience. I'm not here to tear the whole thing down and hate on it and all that, but uh, I do have a lot of issues with the show, and... I figure it might be interesting and kind of fun to get into those details and discuss some of that stuff just because it seems to be the outsider opinion. And so maybe this will be interesting to people. But if you just want if you just do you just want somebody to tell you how great the show is or whatever, uh, maybe just don't watch this. I'm not here to harsh your yums and all that, but uh, I, I, I found watching the show increasingly frustrating as it went on. Like the first episode... I really liked, I think, and then as I went forward through the show, I kind of just kept turning on it more and more. I should, I should open up Netflix so I can actually see the episode-to-episode episode thing a little bit. This isn't really that important, though. But, yeah. So, where to start? I think the, I'm, I'm trying to, I'm going to try to avoid spoilers as long as possible, then I'll have a spoiler warning eventually, I guess. Also, this set is very distracting. I'm going to have to move this junk out of the way before long. <laughs> this, is, this is a stupid idea. Uh, but I think that The Witcher is plagued by more structural problems and premise problems and adaptation problems that I can talk about in a non-spoilery way. But, you know, everyone has different definitions of spoilers. I'm going to try not to explicitly spoil anything for a while here, but... People have very different thresholds for what they consider to be a spoiler, but if you're watching media about a thing that you want to go in without spoilers completely, then I'm questioning your methodology by watching thing in the first place that is about the thing that you don't want to have spoilers on. Eh. But overall, uh, I think if you want a recommendation, most people are probably going to like the show that are the kind of person that would want to watch a show about The, the Witcher. Uh, I would say I still recommend reading the books. Because this is an adaptation of the books, which is different from the games. Because the the, uh, the Witcher games are sequels to the books that I think at one point were considered canon, but now aren't considered canon. But really, that's not really the, the most important concept in the world, necessarily. Uh, but these are actually like one-to-one adaptations of the books, and that's where we get into trouble especially since I've read the books and it's like it's just is this this video is going to be kind of one of those classic situations of like person has read books says books are better than media and here's why in but in like long form and all that at the same time though I think there's reasons to point out why it's better or worse in certain ways that like go beyond just the fact that it's a book adaptation and like it's not the same as it was in the book therefore it's bad like I'm not I'm not minimizing it down to that degree. It's more 
there are things the book does really well, I think, that the show does not do well, which is kind of a problem because if you're going to adapt the stories but just do them worse, that's kind of a bummer, right? Like, it's not a matter of like, oh, they went somewhere else with it and it's cool in its own way. A lot of these stories that are adapted are just straight up lesser and worse. And a lot of them are based on larger, like, larger decisions that were made from day one about how the entire thing was going to be structured and what they were going to do with this. And that's kind of what the issue is. So let's get, let's get started on that. So first of all, uh, Witcher does something, the show does, uh, Netflix show does something fundamentally different than the books do. I guess I should, I should do my, uh, my credentials here, huh? So there's a giant stack of books in front of me. There's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight books in front of me, four graphic novels, and these are just my Gwent decks that I got with the Witcher 3 DLCs that I went and got them because they were limited things, I guess. Making... I guess it makes those a collector's edition items, except there weren't a pre-order bonus necessarily. It was like a code you could redeem to gain the ability to buy something on a store, which is hard to explain. But I like The Witcher. Uh, this is one of only three collector's editions I've bought in my entire life. The other two being Halo 2 and Mass Effect 1. It's like those two games and Witcher 3 if you count these two Gwent decks as being DLC special editions, which I guess they kind of are. They're like physical special edition add-ons to digital content for Witcher 3, which the original game I didn't even pay for because I got a code from CD Projekt Red directly, which was neat because I only had like a thousand subscribers at the time and they gave me a code. I'm like, all right, casting a wide net here, are we? Uh, but as uh, out of all this stuff here, I've read all four of these graphic novels or these comics collections or whatever. But out of the books, I've only read The Last Wish and Sword of Destiny. Everything else, I'm, I want to get to it. Uh, I got it all in one giant pile. It's kind of a Christmas present like two or three years ago because somebody was like, what do you want? And I'm like, I'm always really bad at asking for anything. So I was like, I don't know. I kind of want to read The Witcher books. And then they just showed up with like this giant stack of red books. I'm like, oh, cool. <laughs> And uh, and they're good. Uh, but conveniently, uh, the two books we're talking about today are The Last Wish and Sword of Destiny. Because this entire season of uh, Witcher was based entirely on those two books. So conveniently, I've read the exact two books that this season was about. And none of the other ones. So I can't spoil the future of the books for you. All, all I could potentially spoil for you about the future of the show, or whatever, is if they ever cover anything from the games, then... There's like stuff I could reference there, but I don't really plan on it. Uh, but yeah, those two books conveniently are the only ones I've read. Let's move this stuff out of the way. All right, we've thrown, the, thrown away the pretense of that stupid set that I had or whatever the fuck that was. Uh, so all that's on my desk is now the two books we're actually talking about. Uh, there's probably going to be some jump cuts in this video because I'm probably going to be referencing Wikipedia pages here and there just because... It's not, not because I necessarily need just to discuss these concepts, but because, like, I, you know, the information's readily available. It's worth kind of reviewing stuff here and there. Just might as well not be talking completely out of my ass, because I only did one pass. I've played the game once, I've read the books once, and I've watched the show once, so memory faulty and all that. But thankfully, the wiki page for this season actually explains what uh, stories each uh, episode was adapted from. And so I can review those on the fly, because there's also a full wiki page summarizing every individual story. But yeah, my 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 go take my takeaway though is check these books out. It's 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 worth doing, I think. In part because 
you might be like used to really dry fantasy novels and being like bored and tired and you read your Tolkien and you read your, uh, your George R. R. Martin and you just kind of, <sighs> all right, I'm kind of pushing through this cause I'm sure there's going to be payoff for this. Like the characters and the story are going to be interesting in a way that like makes it worth it to give this thing the attention and that Ritz requires to go through it. But you know, there's like a denseness to it. There's overwritten elements. There's a dense, dense world and like, long descriptions of like banquets that people are having and like i i i I just remember a few times in george R. R. martin's books the game of thrones series the song of ice and fire series that like there was parts where i just just kept starting something over because i was like i didn't take anything out of that i'm sorry i zoned out because that was a very long description of like a setting or something or a, a meal and it just wasn't the moment to moment stuff uh, I found uh, the Last Wish and Sort of Destiny to be very snappy books. They're they're a, they're a fun little wild time. They're well paced. They're not like totally schlocky like those um, parodies of action stories that you read in video games where they have like a parody of a spy thriller or a parody of an action hero that's like really schlocky and garbage. It's not like that, but it isn't the full. It's not. It doesn't have the kind of pretense that most fantasy writing tends to have. You really go right into it. Uh, it, it, feel, it really feels like the author for these books prioritizes the, the actual story and characters above all else. So you pretty much go from zero to 100 all the time and you you kind of just hop right into the characters doing things and you kind of have to understand the world around them via context clues. And or, you know, when somebody comes and actually has like some kind of political debate is often when you actually start learning about the history of the world and so on and that's often the function of some of these interactions instead of having like a long multi-page explanation of how the world works or anything like that like from the first story immediately Geralt is using uh like tinctures or potions or whatever they were called that that's the toxic witcher stuff and he's using his signs and he's not explaining them he's just doing it and all you get is the at most you get like maybe the word that he says when he does the sign and then the reaction of what the sign does and you don't you never get like a lay down of like here's all the moves that the witcher has and when they can use them and what their limitations are and like where he learned them in great detail uh over the course of years of training from this order and that order has this like you know these are just a series of short stories that just go like i was actually really i found it really interesting how like when i read the last wish right from chapter one, it almost felt like I was reading a sequel, but it was the first one. Like the author seemed to just assume I understood his own, his world and just went instead of, uh, taking time to set up like, and here's who Geralt is as a character. And here's the location that they're currently in and what that location means. And here's what a witcher is. And all these other, like, no, you, you're picking, you're going to pick up over the course of the stories, what a witcher is and what the geopolitics of the, of the region are. And like why, how people treat the witcher and also what Geralt values as a person. And like, how people think he doesn't have emotions and he doesn't really necessarily explain that he does have emotions, but you start, but you can clearly intuit along the way that he actually isn't quite what people think he is in a, in a number of ways. Like it's all action. It's all things. And I don't mean action is like combat. I mean, action is like things are just happening all the time in these books. So they're excellently paced. They're a great time to read. And in particular, it's kind of a stroke of genius 
Like, I, I, I kind of wish I could get more uh, introductions to fantasy settings like this. Where instead of uh, beginning the hero's journey via, you know, the hero's journey trope, starting at episode one and like, here's a person living in a poor little village and they're really happy, but maybe they wish that they had more or maybe they yearn for adventure. And then maybe like the orcs attack their village and like, oh, no, I need to go out and strike out an adventure. And then they come back changed at the end of the story. Like, you know, the, we've all done the hero's journey a hundred times by now. And if nothing else, just imagine Lord of the Rings and you have an idea both the hobbit and the lord of the rings are that idea more or less the witcher just no just throws that away immediately uh and you just do a bunch of stories around the world and there's no requirement to connect them to each other which is really useful like if you're not concerned with having a structured narrative where everything has like an overall arc to it and each event informs the the other ones in a really direct way because it's actually like all leading up to one overall plot like if you're not concerned with that you can actually just kind of leap around the world and build your universe like strangely these two books the sort of uh the sort of destiny and the last wish are structured like a season of doctor who like there's probably going to be like the big impactful episode of the season at some point that you kind of take away as being like kind of the point or like the chapter that has the most long-term ramifications for the characters in the plot or something. But like, it's just a bunch of standalone stories kind of, but all those standalone stories build up your idea of like what the overall story is and what the characters are. I, I think that's a pretty interesting idea. It's also rather refreshing to just like read for like 20 or 30 pages and then be like, and reset and just start a new story but it's a new story featuring characters you've met before so it's like you're still learning and progressing and learning about these people it's just that like you're not reading one story for 400 pages it's actually rather similar to like my recent readings i've been reading like neil gaiman's adaptation of norse mythology because of the um the uh the uh, god of war playthrough and that's that was also like it's just a series of short stories that are that are all individual things that all build up to an overall arc and idea but they're not it's not like like every other show and movie and so on where there's like a continuity to it and where it's all like these are there's these are all a series of actions that build up one plot the problem is that they made a Netflix show about it. And a Netflix show, or a show in general, usually wants to have like a through line to it of like a sequence of events that'll have an arc to it. And there's a building action that climaxes at a particular point in the season. And these are a sequence of actions that, these are a sequence of stories that happen in a chronological order that are all building up to the big finale kind of thing. And the problem is that they, they want to make that story by adapting these books. And these two books are both a series of short stories that are not really interested in doing that necessarily. So they have to change stuff and they have to force stuff and they also have to do some stuff about how television shows work versus how books work. That is something that I've picked up on that I'm pretty sure is a rule, but I don't know like 100% for sure if this is a rule or not. Uh, but we'll get to that. But uh, just maybe check out the books. Also, if you want to hear about those comics, those four comics, they're all right. The art's good. Each one, each one sounds like, uh, each one feels like one of those side quests you do in Witcher Three, which is noteworthy because they're written by the people who wrote The Witcher Three. Are the people who were involved in writing those books? Those comic books are like, I think they're all CD Projekt Red comic books. They're not 
So they're part they they're part of the continuity of the games more so than the books, even though they're all supposed to, they're all kind of the same continuity ish. Uh, it, but it's that writing style, which depending on who you are, you might notice and you might not notice. But uh, but really, like all throughout the games, is always really good. How like when you played various side stories, they would culminate in a like you you would get a relatively basic premise. And then you'd go investigate that premise, and your your expectations would get subverted multiple times. And you could kept you kept encountering additional depth regarding to like the the person who sent you on the mission and the antagonist you're supposed to be hunting or dealing with. And half the time you end up siding with the person that you're supposed to be hunting in the first place because the person that sent you on the mission is lying to you. But also there's a bunch of like twists and turns about like the moral grayities of both people involved and like any in, in, in by the end you're not even sure if you made the right choice when you do make a choice which is something that the show actually nails too uh like that kind of back and forth and development and those interesting stories that roll throughout witcher 3 that's what those comics largely cover too as they are more of those kinds of stories and they're they're pretty all right there's one thing i found weird this isn't like i'm not gonna make a big deal about this even though it sounds like the kind of thing people make a big deal out of but weird fixation on female villains and female monsters is just a trend I noticed. Like, I, remember, I was just, if you were on Discord while I was reading these, you wouldn't saw me point it out because I was like, is every. There's a variety of different monsters in The Witcher. There's dragons, there's vampires, there's arachnid monsters, there's werewolves. But yeah, there's like, there's like a Striga, and there, there's, there's like, there's undead women and witches, and there's like bog hags or whatever they're called, and like, there's, you know, a variety of distinctly female monsters in The Witcher. And specifically, every single, if I remember correctly, every single one of those comics had a female monster villain. I'm like, weird trend, but okay. And in particular, there's a there's a dialogue line at some point where they were, like, talking about, like, doing one of those stereotypical conversations about how, like, women, man, you just can't understand them. Why I'll take a monster any day. And it's like... I don't know. I feel slightly weird about the writer that's in charge of, the, of these just because like that's a particular through line I kept latching on to where I'm like, I don't I'm not trying to think about this actively, but like, what's your deal, man? I'm starting to worry a little bit, but uh, I still had a good time reading those books now and, and, I, and I want to buy more if they ever come out. But I don't know if they are because they're they're putting out an omnibus, which I think might mean that they're done. That was just the run. Those four volumes might be the only ones that ever happen. I'm not sure. All right, so on to the structural problems of the Witcher show. So, one, and this is kind of a this is kind of the big one, honestly. Uh, there's a thing that I've noticed about shows in general, which is that if you have the top build cast, they pretty much always have to be in the show all the time. Like your main characters are going to be in every episode. And that's kind of an issue for The Witcher, as you might imagine, if you've read any of these books. Uh, and they really fixate on that. And it kind of became a problem for me. Uh, I've seen some iterations of this where it really stood out to me in other media, too. Uh, in particular, people who watched The Walking Dead. About one or two seasons ago, there was a season where they were ramping up for like this big war with Negan. And Michonne just doesn't do anything the entire season. Like, she kind of just goes back and forth between a couple of villages and, like, has an internal struggle a little bit, but doesn't do anything the entire season. She just does nothing at all. 
but she's in every single episode. Like they keep spending more time on the internal strife of this character. And it's like, I get it. Cause she's like a main cast member. Like she's one of the top build people on the walking dead. And like, she's like the most recognizable face that's been around for the longest time. Besides the two or besides the other two characters that have been around for a while. It's like, she's one of the three people the show fixates on these days. Uh, but they didn't, come up with anything for her to do that season so she they just kept kind of showing her kind of feeling strife a bit like she just kind of they kind of just kept showing michonne feel angst and internal turmoil and then she kind of just kind of said something at the end of the season that was kind of her like declaration a little bit but like that was it for the whole season and it's like you you drove that you drove that actor out to flew that actor out to uh georgia to stand in the heat and just and this is what you were doing with her huh i mean i guess she gets paid so whatever but like watching the show you're like why are these segments here these are a waste of time and that's how i felt about the witcher uh so these books and once again i'm pointing out didn't read those other six books yet i would love to in fact the fact that this show is coming out and i'm probably going to watch the future seasons as they come out means i'm probably going to that's probably gonna light a fire under my ass to go watch those shows, read those books finally and get caught up so that I can stay ahead of the show. Uh, but so I'm going to, I'm just gonna be talking based on the sh- what I do know about the one game four comics and no two games, four comics and two books that I've read so far. So if I say something wrong, sorry about the larger world. But uh, anyway, as far as I'm aware in the Witcher, this is a story told entirely through Geralt's perspective that might become less true later. But as as of now, the two books I've read are entirely Geralt's perspective. They follow him from place to place. You only encounter Yennefer and Ciri and Yarp and Zigrin and other characters and Dandelion from the perspective of Geralt when they intersect with his story, Triss, Renfri, and so on. Uh, and as then they stick to that they stick to that hard but this show does not which isn't necessarily a problem because it's a show you can you can expand this out to a big like game of thrones style thing of a bunch of parallel plots happening all at once and all that but then we have a second problem which is that for most of the season these characters do not meaningfully interact and more importantly their timelines for what part of their narrative is interesting do not intersect and so uh, right from episode one, you have Geralt's perspective for the majority of the episode, but then you have you keep cutting away to Siri, and that that's fine, but kind of an issue. But uh, the first overall, I think the episode the first episode is great, but the second episode you then introduce Yennefer, and then for the rest of the season, every single episode has Yennefer and Siri and Geralt, even though they're not in the same location or doing the same story, and. There's some parts of this I like and some parts that I don't like. In particular, I really don't like Siri, just in general, in this show. Uh, it's not the actor's fault, and it's not necessarily... It really is just a structural thing, and some of the choices they made of what to do with Siri. Because the problem is that when you're making a show that's an adaptation of a single perspective book, you have to make up everything else. So the stuff that uh, is from Geralt's perspective is adaptations of these short stories, but the stuff from Yennefer and Ciri's perspectives are either adaptations of concepts that were introduced or things we kind of can infer about them based on the gaps of, of what you see from Geralt's perspective. Or in some cases, they just, uh, they just outright change things in uh, really significant ways. And 
both of those are kind of iffy, but they're more successful with Yennefer than Siri, I think. But I've got some mixed feelings about both. But in Siri's case in particular, ultimately, she's just here to eventually meet Geralt. And so they show her, like, her origins a bit. And then she's in limbo for the entire season. She's in every episode for like, let's say 10 minutes of the episode or something. I'm not going to sit here and like do charts of every episode where I'd figure out exactly what the breakdown is of Geralt versus Yennefer versus Siri time. But generally speaking, you get a, uh, a decent chunk of Siri, but she's pretty much just going from place to place, kind of on the run, kind of exploring, kind of learning about the world as a sheltered, like noble girl and all that. But she pretty much is just in limbo and just eating up the durations of episodes, which are pretty consistently almost exactly an hour long. Uh, and it's just, it's just, it, 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 it starts to really hurt. <laughs> not just because the time spent with Siri is not that well spent and the stories that she do- has aren't that interesting, but also because you start having these really increasingly abridged storylines with Geralt where you start seeing all these issues where elements are just kind of being skipped over and it's hard not to blame the the overemphasis on Yennefer and Siri on why the story they're actually adapting is getting so cut down because you would think that each of these books like the goal is to I mean each of these uh, episodes the goal is to adapt this short story from this book because each of them is specifically like episodic in nature, where each episode, uh, Geralt is doing this story from The Last Wish. Then he's doing this story from The Last Wish. And like they're very cut, they're very in- segmented off, where once you switch to the next episode, you're done with that previous short story. It's time for the next short story from The Last Wish, or eventually Sword of Destiny. And so when when they run out of time, essentially, to do the story correctly because of these other elements... You can't help but think like maybe this whole idea was a mistake. But there are some there are some elements I like. One in particular is they do something really clever, which is that they how do I put this? It's like I, I like that they they respect their audience enough to understand that these three storylines are not happening concurrently. Because you would think that uh if you're, you know, generally speaking, if you're cutting between multiple perspectives over time, you are generally trained by TV and movies and so on to think that that means that they're happening simultaneously. That's usually what it means when you cut back and forth between multiple stories is that they're kind of happening approximately at the same time. And that's why you're showing them together. But, uh, and I think that's, and I think that might be what they want you to think kind of in the first episode. But then before long, you start having Yennefer's storyline say stuff like, and then I spent 30 years like this. And it's like, oh, it's been decades since we last saw you, even though it's just the next episode. But Siri is still the same age in this episode. So you start realizing these, these storylines are out of sync with each other. Then in particular, you start seeing characters who, are, who die in one storyline but are alive in a later episode of another storyline. And then you start like really putting it together like, okay, these are storylines that are not happening at the same time they're both not happening at the same time and not happening at the same rate like some of these stories in particular i think series story might happen over the course of like a week maybe whereas Geralt's story might happen over the course of like 10 years and siri and uh and yennefer's story might happen over the course of like 40 years like there's a gap like a lot of time passes in yennefer's story Geralt's story maybe less so because dandelion uh 
which is named Yaskier in this game, is not especially doesn't especially seem like he's aging. Whereas like Yennefer and and Geralt, it's hard to say how much they even do visibly age. But Dandelion doesn't seem to be particularly aging, so I get the feeling that like his storylines are maybe over the course of a decade. Whereas Ciri is a small girl, and every story she's the only one that actually is structured like a normal show. Like, uh, Geralt and Yennefer still keep jumping forward in time from place to place, and you don't really have a lot of explanation for, like, why they're here now as opposed to where they were before, and it's like, it's, they're just doing continued journeys over the course of great spans of time, like, you know, because it's based on a bunch of short stories. But Siri, episode to episode, picks up exactly where she left off, and you have a very, like, you could you could take all the Siri storylines and stream them together as one episode, which maybe they should have done, uh, and that would have probably worked I, that would probably be a coherent storyline with a beginning a middle and an end and everything uh and it would it would function like it was one movie or show or episode or whatever and that's like the fundamental difference between the different characters to some extent so like that that starts to really plague things but in particular there's a i would say that of this season i would say there's two maybe three good episodes two frustrating episodes that might be bad i'm mixed on them and then one episode that's just genuinely awful and then i guess there must be two episodes that are kind of unremarkable or i'm not thinking about them that much because it is an eight episode season and i, th- I three three episodes come to mind as being really good three episodes and three episodes come to mind as being particularly not good two being frustrated and conflicting for me and one being like this was a giant waste of time why does this episode exist why did you do this to me uh so mixed bag if you so if if you're uh, if you're up for a mixed bag show maybe check it out anyway it's right it's available right now on Netflix it's all out you can watch it right now if you want to if you want to see it I'm trying to think if there's much more I want to talk about the set design and the effects are all fine uh the actors are all giving it a good attempt like it's just the settings enjoyable and it's cool there's some really cool creature designs that are kind of fun to see even though they're very brief on their with their screen presence because uh cgi budgets and all that a lot of it is cg so and a lot of it's noticeably cg so like every a lot of them look a little a little weird a little out of place and like the camera gets a little too suddenly fixed in its place because they need to make the cg look better and it looks better if the camera doesn't move and i have a few mixed feelings about the uh the creatures but you know it's never necessarily been the focus of the story of the witcher as much as you might think it is because he's called the witcher and he's a monster hunter and all that it's often about the narrative of each individual episode and scenario and how that thing plays out so in those situations like it's often about like the person who's betraying Geralt or who or who's using Geralt for their own uh their own benefit and so on and what the motivations are behind this monster killing and also like a lot of situations where you're like oh this monster is sentient i'm not going to kill that and stuff like that like that's often what's more interesting than the actual battles which a couple of times the show is the problem is that there's a couple of times where the show kind of just gives up on that and just has a battle and that's disappointing but uh yeah i think that's the basics Sorry, I, I I probably haven't had the most coherent final thought necessarily, but it's because I'm trying to I'm trying to give uh, pre-spoiler thoughts before I just go into the actual meat of what of what, it, what I took issue with. But that's 
that's basic that's my basic idea is that it's, it's a competent fantasy adventure action like dark fantasy humorous kind of thing and some of the characters are well done and some of it's well done but has major structural problems and i can't get into the details of that without giving in to the actual spoilers so i'm gonna start those now spoilers for the rest of this video i'm gonna start actually discussing the individual things i took issue with more in a more detailed matter and so on so let's get that started so come back after you've watched the show or just keep pushing forward if you don't care or if you've read the books and already know the, the story that they're adapting and just want to hear how they fucked it up because <laughs> that's kind of how i feel about it uh so first off we have the end's beginning this is episode one of the show this is an adaptation of the story the lesser evil from the last wish right off the bat book readers are probably going to be thinking oh the lesser evil not the voice of reason okay sure why not because you open up the book it opens up with the story the voice of reason but sure we could start with the lesser evil i guess they're a bunch of short stories sure so we're starting with the fourth story out of seven in a seven story long book sure it's actually a pretty good choice i think lesser evil is a pretty good opening note if you want to establish this idea of moral grayness and the idea of not necessarily knowing like what you're what the right choice is in a given situation because it's the story uh, where that you meet this woman Renfrey who it, she's one of many women who were part of a prophecy that's supposed to end the world essentially and so they've all been systematically hunted down one by one and killed and because they, they, these people thought that they were and they were going to stop the apocalypse essentially if they hunted down and murdered all these people and the person who tells Geralt this is this wizard in the tower but he seems really scummy he's got this like garden full of naked women that are all tending his garden they might be illusions or they might be real I don't remember uh, and he's just he seems to be up to not necessarily the best things and is generally revealed to be kind of conniving throughout the season anyway uh, but at the same time, uh, you get this reason for like why people wanted to kill all these women was because like, they were all part of this prophecy about how the world was going to end. But, but Renfrey is the single survivor, and she reveals like she's had to do this entire life of being this monster that's on the run for reasons that aren't that are out of her control, which directly parallels Geralt himself because he is a person who became this monster, a witcher. Uh, outside of his own will as a child and has been, and has had to deal with being an outcast from society his entire life as a result of that so like those two have a lot in common in that way so it's a good intro story to the witcher for that reason uh what what unfortunately what we're, what's revealed is that so what happens is Geralt explains his internal strife and sort of like his way of dealing with this is like he's just kind of become accustomed to the idea he's always going to be an outsider and he doesn't really have a home he doesn't have a people to call his own and he's not going to belong in society and so and he kind of has defanged the power of it by owning that to some extent to some extent it's uh the equivalent of like the uh old dwarfs or bastards uh speech that uh Tyrion gives at the beginning of uh game of thrones uh, that's kind of what Geralt's stance is on being a witcher and tries to tell Renfrey this as some sort of ill comfort for uh, what she has to live with. 
but she can't simply move on. She has to take her revenge. And so she is going to go right back into town and she's going to kill that wizard and she's going to kill anyone who gets in her way. And she might just start killing people in general just to flush him out. And so now Geralt's stuck in this problem where he doesn't want to do the wizard's mission to kill Renfrey because she's been wronged and isn't really in the wrong. But she's now going to do this. So she's so Geralt's going to end up having to kill Renfrey to stop her from doing what she what he couldn't talk her out of doing because that's crossing a line. But then even after he kills Renfrey, he still won't let the wizard go anywhere near her body and act and like is defending Renfrey's uh, corpse that he created because he's the one who killed her. Uh, he's defending Renfrey's corpse from the wizard because he wants to use it. He almost certainly wants to use it for experiments or to learn things about the curse or the prophecy and so on. And, and for Geralt, that's also crossing a line. Like you have a, you have a character with a particular moral code dealing with people that have their own motivations and everyone's kind of in the wrong for a, a variety of reasons, while also kind of having motivations that kind of make them right in certain ways. And Garrett had to make a call, and his call was to save the village from this woman, even though he didn't want this woman to die. And so he's still conflicted all the way down to the last minute, and there's a lot of details there. It's all really good. There's one specific thing that really bugs me, though, which is that as Renfrey is dying, she just kind of exposits a prophecy at Geralt about destiny. And she specifically says, like, the the girl in the woods is your destiny and stuff like that and it's i'm like okay huh we're doing this huh why not i guess but i'm not a big fan of prophecies in general so that kind of that stuff's always kind of awkward but like in this particular case it was like it was so awkward to have like a prophecy about unrelated characters while this other character is dying it almost feels like it diminishes her significance that she beats like she's like here to explain this other prophecy that has nothing to do with her in any way and on some level that i think they're trying to draw from the idea that like she is this character who's tied to destiny herself because from day one she was part of a prophecy that would end the world so her having the ability to prophesy something might on some level like have meaning or resonance there like i'm not completely throwing it out but i felt i thought it was awkward and also it gets increasingly awkward because like this is just the first one so like when it first happens here you're like Okay, but they keep talking about destiny every single episode over and over again in very explicit terms and keep talking about how like Siri and Geralt and are tied to each other. And this is in the same storyline where uh, like the book, The Last Wish is named after the story, The Last Wish. And in the story, The Last Wish, Geralt and Yennefer are tied to each other. And that's a thing that isn't really resolved all the way until Witcher 3. And so like that's way off. Like as far as I know, that's just like a permanent thing in these books, is the the way that Jennifer and Geralt get tied to each other fate wise. So you have Siri being tied to Geralt by destiny, and Jennifer being tied to Geralt by destiny. Which have fun picking apart the, the how female characters and agency works here, because it's a little there's some stuff that uh, might it's 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 something where like I I I, did, I kind of blew past it the first time around, but when I was explaining these storylines to someone once, I was like. Yeah, this doesn't sound great when I say it out loud, does it? The, uh, the way that all these women are bound to Geralt by fate, and they, they seem to not be able to escape him, uh, is a little unfortunate. Uh, but that's just the thing we go for. Uh, and weirdly, they, after, weirdly, I was like, okay, yeah, the girl in the forest is, t is your destiny. I'm like, okay, I know exactly what you're talking about. I know about the story where 
Geralt goes into the forest and finds Ciri. So I, I guess they're just going to set that up now for some reason. I'm sure, why not? That's actually not what happens. They get rid of that entire storyline entirely. So the, that Geralt going into the elf woods never happens in this storyline. Uh, so they're actually setting up a completely different set of woods. And it starts to get really funny because you realize how much of this uh, world is covered in woods. And you're like, oh, shit. Uh, this is, whoops. Uh, it, was just, it just stood out to me as being funny like how stupid it is to say the girl in the woods is your destiny it's like girl cool half the population is girls and half of this country is woods but thanks I'm really going to figure out what you mean by that but overall the Renfrew storyline I, I largely liked and the, the battle choreography in the first episode of, the, of, of uh, Geralt take, taking down her entire squad one by one and then doing a relatively cool fight with her too is all like yeah I kind of I like this this is I'm having a good time this is a good first episode the only thing that stood out to me the, uh, the entire first episode that was kind of iffy was the weird prophecy moment. But there's one thing about this episode that gets retroactively iffy, which is the series storyline. Because the series storyline in this episode shows uh, the fall of Sintra. So it shows Ciri's relationship with a little bit with the villagers, which gets subverted later a little bit. It shows Ciri's relationship with her... Uh, step uncle is that what you call him at that point uh series relationship with her grandmother uh and also the back and forth between like the step uncle and siri versus the step uncle and uh her and the grandmother and like i just i immediately liked this cast of characters and this location and was kind of having a good time with this and then they all die horribly in that episode like it's it's actually rather shocking because like you see the step uncle and he sees like this charismatic character that they're like giving a lot of personality to like he's going to be around for a while and he gets taken out immediately and you're like oh okay okay and the step and then the, the grandmother also dies and that's the fall of Sintra and it's the sacking and burning of the entire city and Siri has to go on the run and all that uh and you're like okay hmm and like that, that doesn't necessarily bother me and at the time just the normal disappointment of like, oh, I like that character and they're dead now. But that's 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 fine, generally speaking. As it turns out, those characters are going to show up in future episodes because uh, Geralt's storyline takes place in the past. And so he inter interacts with those characters uh, li later, by which I mean earlier. So they're not, that's that's why those those actors were good, were, were, were especially noteworthy for like their good performances and good writing and all that and like characterization being relatively heavy for their short screen time was actually because they're they're both going to be in like three episodes each is the real reason uh because of that so that, that was kind of a that was kind of a that was kind of reassuring and like oh thank god they're back for a bit and even though it's tragic because you know it's going to happen to them but no the real reason i i take issue with this first episode is that showing the destruction of Sintra in the first episode is a really good strong first episode but the season didn't necessarily have anything else, any other chips to cash for this season. So they just come back and show the sacking of Sintra again later in the season. You're like, no, you already showed this. What are you doing? But we'll, we'll get to that when I get to that one. I, that's for the, but spoilers for later. That's the episode that I think is the waste of time garbage episode that might as well be cut from the entire season because it's just stupid. It was a stupid episode, which is when they re-show the sacking of Sintra. Ugh. Should I just get into that now? I should probably just get into that now. But basically, yeah, I'll just talk about that now. Basically, 
in a lot of shows like Game of Thrones and many other things that have like big character deaths and so on, a really popular thing is to have the penultimate episode be the big one. So you have a big season of like 10 episodes or whatever, and then the penultimate season, which is the second to last, for those that don't that mix up what penultimate means, uh, is the one where a major character dies, a big thing happens, you have like a beheading or an assassination or a wedding or two, <laughs> uh, and uh, and the big thing happens, and then like the final episode is like you resolving that kind of all of the characters reacting to that because the big shocking thing probably happened near the end of the penultimate episode, so you give one episode to kind of breathe out. Your finale is is is, is like conventional wisdom about seasons used to kind of say that the finale would be the big shocking episode, but it's becoming somewhat popular to have the penultimate episode be the big shocking episode and the finale be every character kind of reacting to the big thing that happened and that and in some level i think that's kind of better because it's like all the characters process the thing a little bit and then you have a better idea of what the show might do next as opposed to just being like having a shocking cliffhanger and then you come back a year later to a show to pick up the pieces after that cliffhanger i think the characters processing that often helps reorient them to whatever they're going to be doing next and then you get to anticipate the season that that, that'll happen next a little bit more because you actually have some idea of what might happen or what characters are planning on doing or which characters you care about are going to maybe be in conflict with each other as a result of that thing and so on so this episode tries to do that but it blew its load already with the same fucking the the same thing and they didn't have another thing to show later. So they just came back and watched this and showed the same thing again. So in episode seven, before a fall, they just show the invasion of Sintra again. And they largely add nothing to it. It's like a clip show. It's like when a show's been around for decades, not decades, for like a decade. And then they have a clip show where they show a bunch of clips from previous episodes. That's what episode seven of the season is, is that... They basically just re-show a bunch of clips and context from the fall of Sintra from the first episode. And at most, they augment the scene. Like, there's a scene where the the, the grandmother, the Queen of Sintra, is laying in a... Uh, she's laying on a couch and she's kind of dying. But she's like, no, my death will be much more dramatic than this. But she's also, like, expositing certain things and making some choices. They slightly extend the scene to add one more little conversation to it basically and like there's a couple scenes like that and the the main reveal happening here is basically just that like in the first episode Yennefer wasn't even introduced yet and Geralt wasn't acknowledging the fall of Sintra at all because he's in a different place and in a different time so it in the fall of Sintra episode they just show that, wow, the whole time, Geralt, who we never saw in the first episode, actually was in Sintra during the fall, but he was in a jail cell, and and it's like, it's mostly like a throwaway, a few scenes about, like, why Geralt didn't help at all during the fall of Sintra, but also why he was there, because the season was kind of setting up the idea that Geralt was pursuing Ciri because of his destiny and so on, but, like, it's just blah like it, it largely is just a recreation of the same sequence of events again and there's a few scenes where where there's a few scenes where yennefer is acknowledging that like the fall of Sintra is going to happen and there's like a couple council meetings with mages but they're anticipating the war so at most there's a couple scenes that are setting up the finale episode that's going to be of this big war but 
by and large, the penultimate episodes are just a massive waste of time. And it could have not been that. See, if they didn't do this weird thing where they insisted on having Siri be in every episode and also insisted on having the episode, the first episode be this big, dramatic uh, uh, death where you have like the death of Sintra and the Queen of Sintra falling out the window and all these other scenes that are all evocative and shit, you could have just saved this all for the penultimate episode if you were going to show it anyway. Like, but they insisted on showing it in the first episode, so they just show it twice. And I just, I just found this kind of baffling and kind of embarrassing and confusing. And it's like, I don't know, did they not think that the cool sword fight that Geralt does at the end of the first episode was not going to be enough for a standalone episode? They had to also show, like, a war happening with Nilfgaard? Because this goes well beyond foreshadowing, and it's just actually showing the climax of the season preemptively before you have context for it, so that later on when they show it again later, it's just spoiled. And like on some hand, on on some level, when we're later doing the uh, the pro- the uh, the promise of surprise or whatever it's called, the uh, the something of surprise, I forget what it's called. When that stuff's happening later with the hedgehog, it's like kind of tragic and bittersweet because like all oh, these characters that I like that I know are, di- are going to die are in this episode and stuff like that. And like that's like there's some value to having that particular feeling of like knowing certain characters are going to die but getting to see them before their death in a different context and like building that out retroactively but if they were then going to show the sacking of Sintra again later in the season it really seems like they should have just not shown it in the first episode at all and just developed those characters over a series of episodes like show us Siri interacting with her family and and letting us like them uh but like show these in chronological order so like you show the season you, sh- you show the episode where the promise happens which introduces the queen of Sintra. then you show siri getting born maybe and you show siri like growing close with her family and then you and then the big climax of the season siri gets attacked and uh because Sintra gets attacked and siri has to flee and all that like you didn't have to like you really didn't have to like tell this in this weird order like, overall, this could have been... They could have framed everything about Siri completely different. Because what they what they because what we get instead is Siri just kind of running through the woods a lot. And wandering around. Some of it's with her, her elf friends she makes. And some of it's just her on her own. And she's just kind of wandering randomly, hoping to encounter Geralt. So she's kind of just in stasis the entire episode. So if you, if you just introduce Siri in, like, the first or second episode... And her family, just briefly, and she gets to like, you know, we get to like these characters a bit. I don't know. It just could have been handled differently. Although, really, because of the fact that we're going to then have the the birth of Siri midway through the season, you might have been better off just letting Siri not exist at the beginning of the show. Just get to the episode where Siri's introduced as being, you know, the baby uh, that someone's pregnant with. And then after she's born, start weaving her into the story a bit, but let the early episodes, let Yennefer and, and Geralt's stories breathe more without having to deal with Ciri all the time. Like, I feel like that might have just been generally better, but we'll, we'll get to this as we go through. Let's try to go a little chronologically here, because I'm, I'm bouncing around a lot. The second episode is Four Marks. It's the adaptation of The Edge of the World, but The Last Wish. This was the first episode that I found actively frustrating. Uh... 
when I look at the first episode, I enjoyed it while I watched it and really don't think there's anything particularly wrong with the episode. It's just that in the context of the season, there's problems that show up in the first episode because of the overall structure of the season being really confusing and strange and what they chose to do. But the second episode, I immediately found frustrating as somebody who read the book, and it was just actively a problem for me. See, episode two is where they introduce Yennefer, and Yennefer is this hunchback character who is is abused by her father and treated like garbage, and he's like clearly just revolted by her and furious that he ever created someone like this. Like, it's one of those stories where somebody is not at all welcoming to anyone being different and revolted by the idea that they created them. So it's like they're... The fact that it's... That it has anything to do with his genes makes it, like, his shame. Like, it's one of those kind of awful stories. Uh, And then Yennefer gets... uh, Like, she... in in in, When she's dealing with this angst, she, like... She teleports magically to a wizard tower and she's like, what's happening? Where am I? And all that. And it's like, oh, this is kind of a fun storyline here. Like, I actually like Jennifer's story a lot of the time. Uh, and she's like, well, it's re- your, 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 your magic's actually rather impressive. You, you ported here. And she's like, what? Ported? And then, and she, and like, she has no idea what the fuck he's talking about, that kind of stuff, because she doesn't know she's a mage, and she used magic on accident because of her sheer desire, I guess. Because here we we're, here we contextualize uh, magic as being chaos energy. So it's this chaotic power that lets you do these insane things, but you kind of, like, the, your ability to control it's limited and so on, and this is all good stuff. The problem we're going to get to is that this is also a Geralt episode because the everyone has to be in every episode. See, we're still going to be developing uh, Yennefer's backstory next episode. She's still going to be a hunchback working her way through the mage stuff. So I really feel like a solution here might have been to just give Yennefer a standalone episode. I don't know how you guys feel about this stuff, so feel free to chime in what you think about standalone, ep- not standalone episodes, but single character episodes. But I like them a lot. Uh, in particular, watching like The Walking Dead, which I still watch, even though I've got so many issues with so many things about it. I, I don't know. Part of me, part of me likes to think about the issues. I part of me likes to think about like the problems I have with stuff. So I can still enjoy a thing, even if it's not good, because I can like kind of just know what it is as a concept and kind of experience it. It's kind of like why I'm happy I watched. Like, oh, I'm, I'm bummed out it turned out the way it did. I'm happy I watched the most recent Star Wars movie just because I get to, like, think about the weird fucking mess that it is and, like, that whole thing. But uh, one of the things I do like about Walking Dead is that it will do standalone episodes that are just one character. Oftentimes, a ba- like, it's, a, it's filling in their backstory. So, like, uh, there's a character named Morgan that was in the first episode of the show, then vanishes for seasons at a time, then comes back, then vanishes again, and then he finally becomes a mainline character way later in the show. And after all that happens, you're like, wow, Morgan, you went through some major transformations while you were gone. Like, you seem pretty, you seem pretty chill in the first episode, but you were in a dark place when we saw you a few seasons later. And now you're kind of in a different place now. And we're kind of, I got questions about like what happened there. Well, boy, does Walking Dead have your back? Because there was like an hour long Morgan episode that was a standalone episode. Not, I keep saying standalone. That's not the right thing to call it. But there was an hour-long flashback episode that was entirely filling in all these backstory events about just this one character. And I like that approach to a season of storytelling. 
in, in, in a show. I actually do dig that kind of thing. I think some people might take an issue with it and some people might have an issue with like how it affects the pacing of the season or something. But like getting to focus purely on one episode and letting their story be told in its entirety without having to cut between different things and figure out how to squish it into an episode. I find that stuff very good like because I, I figure if you're going to set out the mission of I'm telling a character's backstory you might as well just fucking commit right just go for it so like if episode two or three was just 100 percent yennefer's backstory and we're just going to completely commit to introducing her to the story like you got a couple episodes with Geralt. here's yennefer she's going to be important don't worry about it it's worth sitting through this episode even though you're kind of confused why you're now watching a completely different character because she's going to matter in the long term. Although another thing you can do, which is what, what a lot of shows do, is you would introduce Yennefer first just doing shit. shit. You know, like in these books that the, that the show's based on. Just just show us a Yennefer storyline and then do her backstory later. Because if, if we already met Yennefer and we already like Yennefer, then going back and showing her backstory is like, oh, oh no, Yennefer, and stuff like that. And also, like, if you see, like, if you see bitch Yennefer with her like her like prominent chin or perfect hair and all that other stuff because it's you know it's the Yennefer that's a witch and and then you flash back to an entire episode of her backstory where she's like this this hunchback girl that's shoveling shit then it's like it's a shocking it's a shocking reveal of like this very significant physical difference you're seeing and like that kind of difference between the two of them is like that's you, that's actually like a pretty effective storytelling tactic is to go back in time and see how different they used to be and you have questions now and so now you're engaged for this whole episode so like if you're worried that having a whole episode on just yennefer early on is going to be throw people off because you're spending a whole episode with a character that you haven't met yet then don't just show yennefer first show some yennefer storylines maybe start with the one where yennefer and Geralt interact with each other which is also how the books work uh you know the last the last wish storyline is the one where they get bound together. Then after you've already met Yennefer, you can flash back to her entire backstory as a as a as a full episode of just that, and then you get to really flesh out that character that you've now introduced. And like I think that might be a better approach. But instead, what they do is that they keep flashing to Yennefer's backstory over and over again in particular taking up like half of both of these episodes and in in particular uh the episode four marks episode two is so heavy on yennefer that it really just squeezes Geralt out of the episode even though he's still in the episode and so the end result is that you kind of waste a Geralt storyline by not committing to telling it properly but still throwing it away like they can't use that story now because they've already used it so it's it's good it's gone for good now they they just shat it out and wasted it because they wanted to focus on Yennefer for most of the episode, but still refused to not have an episode without Geralt. So they spent one, essentially. And it's frustrating because that was a storyline I liked and that and I like basically all of them. Like one of the things that's really nice about these is that you if you read, if you like get a little blurb about one of these storylines in this book in these books and you remind yourself like oh that was the one with that oh that's the one with the thing and the stuff oh yeah that one was fun like you almost always have that spark of recognition when you realize which story which short story you're, you're referring back to and you're like oh yeah that oh yeah that was cool because that's the one where that happened it was like this interesting little thing like those are, there's always a twist there's always a surprising reveal or like a level of detail or texture to this or that character you weren't expecting when you went into it at the beginning and like there's always these stories consistently surprise you 
and they're worth telling in their full context. And so it's really a bummer if you abridge them down to the point of being unrecognizable. And that's what happens right off the bat in episode two. So episode two is about the edge of the world. The edge of the world is actually kind of fun. Sorry, this might be a little incoherent because there's some relatively long jump cuts here. Because uh, I do want to review this information as we go a little bit more. So, in the edge of the world, in the book, what's happening is that Geralt already knows Dandelion. And they're going on this big expedition further and further to the farther reaches of all of society and the known world. Because he's just desperate for work. Geralt's having trouble getting Witcher work. This is one of those narratives where even though we're like in the first book of the Witcher, uh, like Witchers have come and gone in the past. It's much it's kind of like the Jedi in A New Hope where like they are a past order that people barely remember ever existed in the first place, essentially. And so it's if you're still functioning in that in that system, like you don't necessarily have like stuff to do all the time. And the Witcher needs to eat. <laughs> so he needs to always find work because that's how he survives as a person in this society. He needs to find monster hunting jobs. So he keeps going further and further into the further reaches of all of society because he's just not finding work. And Dandelion's just kind of along for the ride because he often is. Because he's often like looking for stories and so on by following Geralt around. And he also kind of just skims a bit and takes advantage of uh, Geralt here and there by just, you know... His, house, his hospitality, he often gets fed as a result of hanging out with the Witcher and also then gets stories he can take off on his journeys and then come back later and so on. So they're out, they're going further and further. They hear about this devil that's been a problem. And so the local elder wants them to deal with this devil, but don't kill him. They just need to get rid of him. Like he's just, he's just been a problem, but don't kill him. So they go out to interact with this devil, and this guy is, at first, it's just shouting noises at them, but eventually it's kind of cursing them out and yelling at them. It's like, oh, it's intelligent, and you can understand it. Okay. Uh, it's a, like a, it's a goat man, rel- relatively, it's just like a satyr and so on. It's, it's, a rel- it's, a, it's a familiar image for people. Uh, things escalate. Uh, Dandelion keeps taunting it, and things keep getting worse, till the devil is throwing these these metal balls at them and uh Geralt and Dandelion actually flee the scene and they go back to town and they try to learn more about this guy they learn that he's a sylvan they they interact with these, these different characters in town that can help them gain this information with the local folklore and so on and so they go back out there and they interact with the sylvan again and they and like the sylvan wants to play games so like he's throwing poems at them like it's very it's very golemy yeah Like, we'll play at riddles if you don't have, like, physical games. I'll give you a riddle in a minute. And if you guess it, you win and I leave. If you don't, I stay and you leave. Wreck your brains, because this riddle isn't easy. It grows in soft clay, not far from the stream. Little pink leaves, pods small and full. It grows in soft clay, not far from the stream. On a long stalk, its flower is moist. But to a cat, please show it not, because if you do, he'll eat the lot. It's like they have this kind of back and forth about these riddles and other contests and conflicts. Because they're really just, this guy's just a, a problem. Like, they, they find out that, uh, when they were back in town, they found out earlier that, like, they tried to use local folklore to banish the devil. And they tried to, like, appease it with offerings. But that mostly just led to a result where now the devil's well-fed and also has, like, these metal balls to throw around. So they kind of supplied it with his weapon on accident because they thought it was, like, a thing that would banish him. And it was just all bullshit. 
they're trying to get by without a Witcher is the thing because Witchers are so long gone that it's only Geralt and a few other people and basically everyone else is gone that like people have to try to figure out like homegrown remedies to monsters like the Sylvan and they're misidentifying the creature to begin with in half time and all their solutions are wrong and so on. And the Witcher's trying to deal with it, but the Witcher doesn't want to kill the Sylvan because he is sentient and intelligent. So that means that he needs he he has to reason with it more likely or figure out other some other solution because that generally speaking, uh, Geralt's code doesn't involve killing intelligent creatures. Uh, he he keeps dealing with this. The they're doing with these riddles and puzzles, and eventually. Uh, eventually, it escalates it escalates to a bit of a physical altercation, and. Uh, Ultimately, what happens is somebody sneaks up on Geralt and knocks him out, and they wake up uh, tied to a tree. Geralt, uh, Geralt's tied to a tree, and uh, these elves are all planning on executing him, and they're going on about the crimes of humanity and how, like, elf society, all, all the all the remnants of elves have been pushed to the very borders of all of society, the edge of the world, as it were. And like these are the, these are these crimes, and like because Geralt knows about them, he has to die and stuff like that kind of stuff. And so they're planning on executing him, and it's actually the Sylvan that's pleading to not kill, uh, to not kill Geralt in this situation. And like there's just you know there's, there's a bunch of te- textures and back and forths and surprise reveals, like this idea of like the surprise in, in, indication that this is all like an elf storyline, by the way, for example, because you thought it was a Sylvan storyline, but it turns out the Sylvan was like stealing resources to help the elves and like they're all kind of in cahoots because he feels bad about the how the elves have been how how, you know are in such a fucked situation because of the humans and so on and Geralt's being blamed for the crimes of humanity even though he's somebody who is himself outcast from humanity and only and only really given any modicum of respect for as little help he can give them in these really specific situations where then it goes right back to being reviled once he's not hunting a monster for them and so on it's you know it's like it's it's some a lot of these stories are different groups that kind of parallel Geralt in different ways but also like there's just a lot of texture here like you have this loud mouth swearing troublemaker sylvan that's just a a force of like mischief and seems like such a problem but it's also like kind of a low stakes fight because nobody's trying to kill anybody else for this whole Sylvan situation. But then it revealed that but then it's a reveal that like all this all this troublemaking that the Sylvan's doing is actually like a front for helping the elves and like and the elves are actually much more willing to kill people and there's other things going on. And it's like there's a bunch of back and forth that are interesting. Uh in the show. One issue is that they uh they need to introduce Dandelion. So Dandelion is introduced in this episode. His name's Yaskier, which is actually what he's called in the original version of The Witcher. Uh, in its original language, his name is Yaskier, which means buttercup. Uh, so he was always named after a flower. And if you, in different regions, Yaskier is named after a different flower. So here we have Dandelion. Uh... I've heard somebody explain in chat somewhere, I think, that like what the German version is, which is another flower, that it's another name that also means another flower and so on. So like they kind of localize his name per region to a different flower that's that evokes the same vague imagery or or, or, or feeling because like buttercup feels different here than it does to that, that, that it does in Polish, apparently. So they went with dandelion here like that, that kind of stuff. They, they go with. They go with a, a particular flower name for each region that kind of evokes the same idea because calling him Buttercup here does not give the same result as calling him Yaskier in Polish does. Like, the flower means different things to different cultures and so on. Uh, 
But in the books, Yaskier, as far as I'm aware, is not introduced. At least not in these uh, two standalone stories books. He just exists and is somebody who knows Geralt and that's it. Like, you see Ciri and Yennefer meet Geralt in their respective storylines. But Dandelion and some of other Geralt's associates just already are existing forces of nature, essentially. Like, they're just part of his life and and they might as well have always been there. But the but the show insists on introducing him, so they create a scene where Geralt and Dandelion meet for the first time in a bar, and it's right around the time that Geralt is also going out on this. And, and by the way, I do like the scene where they meet each other. I'm not I'm not complaining about that necessarily. It's just that by adding that, they are eating away at more time in the episode. Where and this is already the episode where like I want to say the majority of the episode is spent on Yennefer's storyline, and they also added in the introduction of Dandelion, so they're adding that. But then they go on in this mission, and right off the bat, I'm already, I'm already iffy. So they encounter the Sylvan in the bushes. The Sylvan throws a metal, a metal ball at Geralt. It hits him in the head. He's bleeding, but he's he he's, he makes it. He and then uh, Dandelion kind of laughs about that, but he gets hit by a metal ball and, and knocks him out. It's like okay, Dandelion's down. Geralt tackles the Sylvan, and the Sylvan kind of amusingly is like. I am a, he's like, I am a Sylvan, a rare and beautiful creature, or a rare and intelligent creature, which is, like, something that you shout at. It's, like, it's such a great, like, like I like that. If, if he, Considering he says, like, one thing in the entire scene, it's a very funny thing to say, is that he's essentially declaring out loud immediately why a, a witcher should not kill him, because he's, one, rare, and two, intelligent, which are the two things that Geralt doesn't want to kill, is he doesn't want to make any species extinct, unless they're really awful, I guess. Uh, and he doesn't want to kill intelligent creatures. So this guy, this guy is, he's a, he's a quick study. He knows what, he knows what he's supposed to say to not have a witcher kill him, which I, I found amusing. Uh, then Geralt gets knocked out. So that whole intro part we had talked about of like, like having like interactions with the, with the, uh, the Sylvan where like Dandelion and the Sylvan have a kind of a back and forth and like, there's like an escalating tension and like some really amusing stuff. Cause like the Sylvan is kind of a funnily written character in general. And so is Dandelion. So having two kind of funny characters yelling at each other is kind of fun. Uh, and then, the, then them running back to town and learning about the Sylvan and then them coming back and like the Sylvan challenging them to riddles and stuff like that. All of that's completely cut. He just throws two metal balls, says one line and then Geralt gets knocked out and we've and we're done with that entire part of the story of the edge of the world. Uh, and then they wake up in a new location, and uh, the elves are once again having pretty much the same interaction, I, as far as I remember, all the way down to one of them having their nose broken by Geralt by, via a headbutt or whatever uh, from his bounds, from his binding, uh, where like they blame him for all these things, because they blame the humans for all these things, they're going to have to kill him, and the Sylvan kind of takes Geralt's side, like, don't kill him, and so on, and, and then they eventually get let go. And then Dandelion, because his job is to tell stories about Geralt to uh, sort of repay him, but also like to like spin these stories of like, oh, th- these are the this is why Geralt's actually a hero and people should pay him is spun as like this sto- this uh, it, it becomes this this song uh, toss a coin to your Witcher, which is like a song that's a through line throughout the entire season, and people keep referencing outside of the show and so on, and it's like has larger significance to it, and it's born from this not great episode where like nothing really happens in the episode for the most part all the interesting texture of the story is completely left on the cutting room floor and it's like only the most token thing like 
like it's it, it I, I tweeted about this and people, and people saw this probably but it was like they essentially made the they turned the episode into fan service they didn't really adapt it for the most part or at least this, the first half in particular they didn't really adapt so much as reference which is not as good because they just have a sylvan he throws metal balls and he and he shouts things check 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 those are the three characteristics right and like those, the, all those details are established in like thirty seconds, and then you move on from them. And it's an hour, I'll remind you, these episodes are an hour long, and this this whole thing about the Sylvan being this troublemaker, loud mouth that challenges you to riddles and throws metal balls and all these other things, it's just it's just squeezed down to those tiny those few seconds of like he shouts a thing, he throws some balls, and then Garrett gets knocked out. In a few seconds. It's like a background cameo in Ready Player One. We're like, it's that Optimus Prime? I recognize that from the thing. And like, if you've read the book, you're like, that means something to you. But if you're just watching the show, you're like, the what character? Like, you might have to remind somebody that that character existed because of how fast it came and went as a person. And that's just, that's just kind of a bummer. And it's just kind of a bummer that the story doesn't have a, a lot going on. Like, I do kind of like the anticlimax of how Geralt just gets released and he doesn't necessarily even solve the problem himself, which is true for both versions of the story. But the fact that the story comes and goes so quickly in the show is just kind of a bummer. And it's kind of a it's kind of weak for a second episode. Uh, I think the show is really relying on the fact that you're probably engaged in Jennifer's storyline. So you're focused on just that part. So you're probably not that worried about the fact that Geralt's story kind of sucks this episode but at the same time it's the birth of it's the introduction of Dandelion and the birth of that song that people keep referencing so it's like it's just once again I'll go back to my idea that like it would have been nicer if Yennefer just had a standalone episode about her past that wasn't eating up time that was also being spent to adapt other storylines because then this storyline could have had its time to breathe and it's kind of a fun storyline. It's kind of low stakes. They're just having a having an out with this goddamn Sylvan. If you want to have your subversion of expectations that this that this Witcher universe often has, like having a shouting match with this rude creature in in under an apple tree or whatever the hell it was, like is a pretty amusing scenario to engage with, and it helps expand people's idea of what the Witcher is as a universe. Because so far it's just been about, about a bunch of dangerous monsters and threats of death and so on. So it's just kind of an amusing storyline. And having it having it shrunk down to almost nothing is just disappointing by, by contrast. And so I was, after a strong first episode, I was really feeling mixed right off the bat on, second, on the second episode. Because I was so caught off guard by how iffy this is. Because it feels like what you do when you watch like a, a fantasy movie in the theater that's an adaptation of like a 800 page novel and the movie's only two hours long and like stuff just keeps going ga 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 and the pacing's totally fucked and like entire ideas come and go in only a few seconds and like and like the editing's too fast and concepts are underdeveloped and characters come and go like 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 lightning like the goddamn like aragon movie adaptation for example uh that's 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 the feeling I don't want to have, generally speaking. And I gotta say, like going into the show, I didn't know it was going to be an adaptation of Sword of Destiny and The Last Wish. I was kind of hoping it would just be new stories with Geralt and everybody. Like they were just going to make up stuff. That kind of would have been nice because then they wouldn't be so constrained to like this episode is this short story, but we also want to do this in the episode, but it has to do both of these things within that time limit. So stuff's going to have to give like if you have a storyline for the entire arc of each season 
based on each character and it's all planned and written from scratch it might be more, more coherent although the show kind of shows uh how they might be good or bad at that at the same time because the series storyline is so blah but the yennefer storyline is actually pretty all right so i don't know i can't tell you whether or not they would have done a good job at making their own stories or not but as it, as it is it's a book adaptation and they are adapting these stories and so i don't think it's unfair to say that that's a badly adapted story because otherwise those details don't matter like if they just wanted to have a showdown with the sylvan well, i mean with the with the elves where the elves get to exp- where you get to explain the political situation between the elves and the humans like that doesn't require the sylvan at all so the whole sylvan mission is largely irrelevant like all you really had to do was have any situation where Geralt would get kidnapped but they go out of their way to make this entire cgi character of the sylvan and they kind of just i don't know it frustrates me by just evoking the storyline without actually without actually uh adapting it and it's like i don't i, I would almost rather they do them they do their own thing like cd project red does where they just make new witcher stories from scratch build it building upon what exists already instead of telling the same story but worse Speaking of the Yennefer storyline, and I can't tell you which one's which because Yennefer's storyline is split over the course of a series of episodes, but I can't talk about them on an episodic basic basis without like going into great detail of like researching what happened or rewatching the episodes. So like my Siri and Yennefer stuff is not going to be tied to a specific episode when I discuss it because largely I can't tell you what episode these things happened in because they are a more traditional storyline where a series of events happen in chronological order. And sometimes a previous episode is just picking up where the last one left off, whereas all of the Witcher storylines are standalone. Not standalone, but there's like a skip between them where he's in a different place at a different time and because they're a bunch of short stories. Uh, this Yennefer story that's split between two episodes and takes up a lot of the time of the second and third episode. There's a few things I took issue with that just felt like there's deleted scenes that should have been there that made the, would make the episodes feel better. So Yennefer gets kidnapped by the witches and like, and by kidnapped, I mean, she gets purchased because her dad's awful and she's forced to live with them. And this, and so she starts getting trained as being a witch and it's like, okay, this is interesting. Sure. Uh, you get to see a bunch of other witch characters and like, I think you might see Triss there, but you also see the evil Nilfgaardian witch that's going to come up later. Uh, you see her being trained there, I think, too, and so on. And they also establish some of the rules about spellcasting. One of them is this idea that when you cast a spell, the power has to come from something. So, like, a flower or a tree or even a person will, like, lose their their living essence over the course of the cast of the spell being expended and so on. So, the first lesson is that they have them levitate a rock. And... When they do that, everyone's trying to say the word and no one can seem to manage to do it. And then one person does it. And I think it actually was, it might have been the, the, the woman who becomes the Nilf Guardian Witch later or whatever. Uh, she levitates it. It's like, wow, she's doing it. Everyone look. Then I'm like, ah, look at your hand. And her hand like shrivels up like the Crypt Keeper. And she screams, which is fitting. That's a correct thing to do in that situation. And then it's never addressed again. I don't mean like this this I don't mean like like the cost of spellcasting is never addressed again. I mean like her hand is never addressed again. And I think she might have even been the character who shows up later in the show and I'm like, "Huh? I'm I'm confused." Uh cuz 
they establish that her hand shrivels up, but nobody ever explains like, oh yeah, just take the salve and that'll heal up. Or, oh no, you're fucked. Your hand's fucked for the rest of your life now. Or her hand falls off. Or like, I don't know, no explanation. You just see her hand shrivel up and it's like, that seems like a really important bad thing to happen to somebody. And then no one talks about it, including the person it happened to and, and the teacher. The teacher never says anything. All she does is say that, that spellcasting has a cost. And so that's why there was a flower on the table. And then everyone picks up the flower for their ad, ad additional attempts at spellcasting. No one expresses additional concern that this person's hand shriveled up, including her. And in fact, the moment she points out the flower and how that works, everybody just picks up the flower and intently starts trying to cast the spell. And it's like, none of you are afraid at all that this person's hand just shriveled up like a little nightmare, like claw, like she's a corpse now. Why is no one worried about this? Like, did they, I, I swear they must have had like, I, I doubt that it was written this way. I almost, I almost certainly think that like the editor like cut something out that like, made that scene more natural because they, they were they were just so t packed for time because all these stories don't have the time to breathe that they should have. Uh, that's my guess. I don't know. Because no one seems to care that this person's hand got really fucked up. Everyone's just like, like you, they just zoom in on Yennefer and she's like, and she's just chanting the word and she's, she picks up the flower and she's so dedicated. And it's like, you're not worried even a little bit about the thing that just happened. I feel like people should be worried but then, but then this this there's another weird reaction from Yennefer later on, which is that there's a character that she refers to as being her friend throughout this entire two episode little arc here, and uh, like at a later point, there's the ascension that's supposed to happen where everyone gets to become like proper witches. Now they're going to become ascended via this ritual. They take them down to this this pool in the basement, this white glowing pool. And she says this word at them one by one, uh, the, the teacher does. And they all turn into yellow eels. Which then get kicked in the pond. And that's where they live now. Like they're all gonna... That's it. Like there's a, there's a line she says a, a couple times where like, the, sometimes the best thing a flower can do for us is die. And so like, she sees these people as like failed or disposable so they're not going to become witches they're going to live as eels in this pond forever they lost all agency like she even says she takes the control away from them which is like wow if you want to talk about once again if you want to talk about the agency of female characters in this show the fact that two of them are bound to uh Geralt by destiny and can't escape that and one of them's forced to love him at some point and also the fact that like these characters there's a bunch, there's a whole like cult of women where like these women have their agency ripped from them permanently and then they just slowly die as these eels in a pond as a power source is like huh that's like thing to process fantasy writing huh uh but uh no the the specific thing i want to bring up about this is is actually just Jennifer's reaction which is like you turned my friend into a slug and then she's like it's an eel actually then she never talks about it again you could, like like Yennefer herself said that that was her friend, but she doesn't seem to care that this person's permanently an eel now. Like Yennefer's just over it immediately. In fact, she ends the scene smiling. She ends up smiling in this scene, and I'm like, I don't. What the fuck? <laughs> what Yennefer? You said it was your friend. And she just got totally fucked over and you're not revolted by this or afraid about this or like this is the raw power your teacher has that she can 
just at any moment turn you into this 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 practically not an inanimate object but like just remove all agency from you and throw you in a pond and that's the end of you and they're not worried about that and and i don't know people are gonna be thinking about this like a full like four episodes later it comes up later where yennefer goes to like uh she goes back to like this location decades later and she's like spiteful now about all the things that happened here and like she she's about to like tell uh she's on the verge of telling all these these new students about the eels and so on it's like sure but why didn't that bother you back then when it was happening in front of you like it's it, it's it's weird to like it's one of those things where like they acknowledge it later but acknowledging it later doesn't doesn't fix the fact that it was super weird when it was happening that like she just didn't care and even smiled at her friend becoming an eel and it's like i like the the tone of the scene gets really weird this also happens with uh with uh the fact that Geralt does almost nothing in the in this episode too which is the fact that like later on dandelion singing this toss a coin to your witcher song and the story of of him fighting these elves has spread and then Geralt just straight up acknowledges they're like nah basically nothing happened that story is all bullshit uh but it's like acknowledging it later doesn't change the fact that that's what the story was in the moment so it's like i don't i don't know just acknowledging it doesn't really fix the feedback necessarily that's just a whole thing uh they also added the detail apparently that uh we always we always heard that that uh witchers and witches both can't have children uh we know that the the number of toxins and metamorphoses and mutagens and all that shit that go into a witcher lead to them becoming sterile we, that's pretty explicitly told i believe but witches are more vague about it there's just some idea that witches can't have children and i don't think it's super detailed and it's and it's telling ever but in this show there uh is the metamorphosis where all of the witches go from whatever they were before to being quote-unquote perfect people like appearance wise and so everyone's gonna morph into well actors basically like they were all glammed down and they were all like not wearing makeup before and in and in Jennifer's case she was uh like set up as like a hunchback with like a crooked jaw and all these other things and some of the other characters have like scars on their faces to kind of uh, highlight that they're like pre-perfect witches whereas once they go through their astonishing metamorphosis they just look like the actor that plays them now basically uh in this one they establish that uh the, because like magic has a cost i guess in this one's case the the specific price of this of this metamorphosis is that they cut your uterus out of your body they just cut your uterus right out uh so that's why yennefer can't have children now we know they cut her her uterus out the, you literally see it like they put it in a pan like this floppy prop gross flesh uterus thing uh they, you see it and i'm like oh okay <laughs> i guess we know that now uh in more detail at least in this particular version of the universe gotcha uh really fucks with the part where like there's an ongoing thing where yennefer wants to have kids and like in this one in particular she keeps talking about getting a cure for having kids and it's like it would kind of help the storyline if the nature of her not being able to have a kids was more vague to us as the audience because like the the exceptions of like oh no witches are just sterile or whatever 
uh, or whatever, or Baron, I mean, uh, would almost be more acceptable because we'd be like, oh, oh, wow, witches can't have kids. Oh, good luck, Yennefer, finding a cure for that. But we literally saw her uterus get cut out of her body and thrown away. So it makes it a slightly bigger leap to be thinking about like how 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 is a how how is she gonna how, how is she gonna fix that? What what is a cure for uterus uterus begun? Because that's your her uterus begun. It's not existing. Uh, I I feel like that muddies the waters on the idea of her seeking a cure a little bit in an unnecessary way. Because uh, I think a lot of I think viewers might get in their own heads about like that idea of like how do you fix that? I guess maybe she can grow her uterus back because since she can was able to metamorphose metamorphose her body. But that kind of becomes a new problem because, like, you establish that they can just morph their body on the fly via these rituals. But the cost of morphing the rest of her body is cutting her uterus out, apparently. But if that's the case, if all that's in her way is the fact that her uterus is gone and not, like, some other larger thing about witches that makes them barren that's more magical in nature or whatever, if it's literally just that she's missing an organ, you would think that the cure might actually be easier to than than the show's making it out to be like you could have an organ transplant of a you know of a uterus or maybe there's just a spell that grows a uterus since you were able to change every other part of her body it's hard not to think like maybe she could just get her uterus back in which case seems like it'd be easier than the show's making it out to be because she's going to some pretty extensive lengths to regain the ability to have children and it's just her uterus came out you just got to get a new one like in the world of magic when we considering it's established in the same episode where her whole body is being transformed it doesn't seem that hard actually i don't know that's i don't know I've, i have some mixed feelings about that particular that particular development but overall it's like it's kind of neat seeing uh the yennefer actress like in her get up where she's a she looks like a genuinely different person like there's a there's enough things about her based on like how her skin looks and like how her jaws sideways and so on even though it looks a little bit silly because it looks like she just has is sticking her tongue into her cheek a little bit but not but like there's but there's enough little details about her overall setup that like you're like okay she looks like a different person genuinely so when when you see her transformed into the yennefer that we know largely you're like i did i, I did a little bit of a double take where i was like is that even the same actress because <laughs> it's a it's a it's a relatively significant transformation and i do like some of the elements of how they establish how magic works and stuff like that it's just the some of the specifics of a couple of yennefer's reactions to certain scenes i'm like i don't what like specifically the lack of reaction to the eels and the lack of reaction to the claw hand is like they made those scenes distractingly unnatural feeling and 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 they made like the sh it felt like the show was just moving too fast for what it was doing in those moments but you for a lot of the yennefer stuff i kind of like including the part where like she uh She's like three decades later, she's just totally sick of being a witch at this point. She's been doing it for apparently like 30 years and she's been dealing with all these boring nobles and their stupid problems. And she finds these people asinine and irritating. And then there's an assassination happening. Oh, boy. Uh, and someone's trying to kill uh, the princess that she's currently uh, transporting and her baby. And so uh, Yennefer starts teleporting through different regions like he like he uh she teleports them to the desert and now they're in the desert it's like oh we're safe now and then the guy shows up with the monster again and they're like oh shit they're tracking you 
So it's like the a little bit like the Last Jedi situation where like, oh my god, they're tracking us through hyperspace. What's happening? Because like you would think porting away would get you free and clear, especially if you port to like random locations, which the middle of the desert seems pretty random to me. But he's going exactly to where they're going, so it's like they're clearly tra- he's clearly tracking them. And interestingly, Yennefer fails this mission. Uh, doesn't find out how they're being tracked. Like he, she teleports a few times through portals with the girl, woman and, and her her child, and he the guy just keeps coming, and which leads to this like oh you useless bitch moment where Yennefer just leaves them and just leaves them to die and. Uh, what ends up happening is the uh, the woman dies, but then Yennefer returns just in time to sit to try to save the baby. But ends up they they end up both getting stabbed, which Yennefer survives, but the baby does not, which is a bummer scene. And Yennefer leads leads to the scene where Yennefer's talking to a baby's corpse for a while on the beach and so on, uh, which kind of lets you get a, t- a feel for where Yennefer is at a, where where she is as a person now because it's been decades since we last saw her so it's like that's a real big change for her uh but like seeing her fail is interesting and also seeing the this little teleport thing happen is interesting I'm a little unfortunate that it's just it comes and goes so quickly and you never get resolution for it so you, uh you get you get to understand what the problem is which is that they're being tracked somehow and and that they never figure out how they're being tracked because she fails uh but the, the it kind of comes and goes it kind of seems like the point was just to have her kind of touch base with us and tell us where she is as a person right now because the the overall of what of what's happening in that scenario doesn't i don't think ever come up again i could be wrong i don't think that sorcerer that came after him came after her even shows up again like because i guess because they, they they accomplished what they were going for by killing the baby and the woman so i guess that's it really uh that's most that's actually most of Yennefer's story until the last wish actually happens. Uh Siri's story is weird. So she they need to come up with more for her to do. So after the after the sacking of Sintra happens, she runs into the woods and she encounters a random elf character who I didn't realize we were not supposed to know was an elf because like, oh, a random person in the woods. They're probably an elf. Oh, they're wearing a hat that covers their ears. They're an elf. Okay. But like later on, it's a reveal that it was an elf. And I'm like, oh, whoops. <laughs> I, I already guessed that, but okay. Uh, weirdly, he won't talk. He's a mute until she knows he's an elf. And then he starts talking. I'm like, I don't understand what was not talking part of you hiding your identity as being an elf can people tell people are elves when they speak because i would i <laughs> it's just a dude that talks i don't know why he was silent like he was in, he was like silently communicating with her and offering her food and like warmth and so on and company but not talking to her until she realized he was an elf at which point he starts talking and i'm like i don't understand what the point of that was i don't is that an adaptation of something i don't remember maybe i don't remember which story that is or something but it's probably not because she's not. The story's not from the books, as far as I'm aware. As far as I'm aware, asterisk. I have six books to read, but as far as I'm aware, it's an adaptation of the two books I've read so far. Uh, the two of them wander off into the woods, and this is actually an adaptation of a story that I like from one of these books. I don't remember which one it is necessarily, but it's the one where uh, Geralt saves Ciri from the elves in the woods. Uh, what happens is that Siri gets mind controlled, sort of. She she feels some kind of calling and just walks into the woods. And uh, 
there's there's a detail here this little fan service moment which is that they shoot one arrow at the feet of the elf that's with siri who's not under the spell because he's trying to follow her it's like siri siri what are you doing where are you going uh the the arrow hits the floor and he's, it's like a warning shot and then the next arrow hits him and it's like oh hey it's that detail from the books because uh with these people Geralt explains that like in the in the books Geralt explains like that's these people are wildly dangerous these elves are so good with bows they will kill you in one shot but they're just polite enough to give you a warning shot so they fire off one warning shot and then you need to leave immediately and flee the scene because the next shot will go right between your eyes. Uh, in this case, it doesn't go between his eyes. It just hits him in the shoulder and then he's actually fine. And they also kind of kidnap him into the woods, which is weird because the whole point is to get intruders from to not enter. So I'm a little confused there. But also he's an elf. So why did they shoot another elf? Because I thought they were elves. I thought that was the point. But they... They shot another elf, which seemed, seems kind of productive. But uh, in the books, this is another version of that storyline of, like, there's these elves that are out in the mountains and in the woods, and this is their territory. Anyone who infringes upon any of their territory is killed on site because they have no tolerance for humans at this point because humans have already taken, like, all of their land and pushed them into these, like, essentially, like, reservations, like Native Americans, and... Like this, they're, they're fighting tooth and nail for the this last scrap. And in particular, there's a thing where like these elves are being a little unfair in that they keep spreading outward and keep redefining what their boundaries are, which is kind of a problem because they kill anyone instantly that enters their territory. But they keep kind of improve like pushing outward what they consider to be their territory. But when I say unfair, I mean just not in the grand scale. Like they're the ones that are being oppressed and and hunted and all that. I just mean like on an individual basis, the the random villagers that aren't really making the choices in this grander scale about what happened and aren't really individually responsible for what happened. Are, I kind of feel bad for how they just are getting picked off and, not, and don't even know why and they just die, uh, which is what's happening with this expanding territory. But uh, basically in the books... Do not go in this territory. You will die. The only exception is Geralt. And that's because Geralt has a particular connection because he's known as the, being the White Wolf and he has a reputation with different groups of people. And so he actually kind of has an in in here. And this is the story in the books where Geralt actually finds Ciri, who has been uh, incorporated into this society of these elves. I, I don't remember if they might have been all female or not, if that was a plot point or not. But they have these waters that, like, make you forget who you are and you kind of transform into being them. So, like, this is a, this is a group of people that, uh, yeah, like, that they call young girls into their woods and they and these, and these girls just walk in kind of under, under a trance. And then they m sort of transform into one of these people. So, like, they, it's one of those kinds of folk stories where uh, children wander into the woods and become creatures it's that kind of idea where like they become part of their society permanently and that's their new life now and they fight for any and they fight anyone else who tries to who dares enter <clears throat> and Geralt's the only person that can really kind of get in and it's kind of because of his wider reputation and so on <clears throat> sorry god drink god keep drinking water periodically through all this because uh, i talk too fast and for too long and it wears me out uh and ultimately, uh, I don't remember the specific details that well right now, but ultimately Geralt does end up leaving these woods with Ciri. I think he strikes some kind of deal or something. And that's how Geralt and Ciri more or less meet. 
Uh, but in the book, I mean, in the in the show, Siri just kind of hangs out with those people in the woods for a few episodes, and then she just leaves. In this case, uh, they have the, the a Nilfgaardian Doppler, which are these doppelganger people that can copy people. And when they copy them, they become them. So they have their abilities and their memories and their personality and so on. Like they can fully integrate. It's not just the thing where somebody pretends to be somebody cosmetically and then you're like well then ask me a question that only jacob would know and then they can't answer the question like with dopplers you're fucked they know everything uh and the doppler story that's in one of these books is really good uh it's not in this show though the only doppler we get is this evil doppler that lures uh siri out of the woods so that they can take him to Nilfgaard. but then that doesn't work because they uh realize he's a doppler and they and they kind of attack him enough to run away which is disappointing So the whole thing, so all this insight we get from Geralt is gone because Geralt never saves Ciri from these people. But also these people aren't what they were in the books anyway. These mountain forest people, they're insular and they kidnap people still. But also you can apparently just leave and like they and like Ciri leaves with their blessing and it all seems kind of iffy, but it's also like a sea story. So this all happens as just like a, is just very stretched across the whole season for Ciri uh is this detail in particular that just kind of happens and that's most of Siri's storyline uh after that she uh after she escapes the doppler she pretty much just like has a couple more minor scrapes one of which is the one where she encounters the villagers that she knew back in Sintra, and they don't they don't think fondly of her at this point uh but the main thing is that there's a few times where she explodes magic out of her like she's just eruptively powerful apparently and can't control it so there's a couple times throughout the season where she does something scary and powerful but by and large series storyline is pretty much just that she flees Sintra, hangs out with some elves for a while but then leaves and then has to run from a doppler and then she meets Geralt, and that's stretched over 10 episodes and it keeps eating away at the runtime of every one of those episodes despite not really being especially interesting and kind of lacking the texture that these witcher stories tend to have because they don't really have the twists and turns and the special the special details you don't expect and all that instead they're just kind of it kind of just keeps going and you're like cool and everyone keeps telling Geralt that she's his destiny all season so like you're just you kind of know where she's gonna end up she's gonna meet Geralt and that's how the show ends the show ends with her meeting Geralt like all right cool that was a lot That was just a lot of time spent on that idea. Who boy, I have a talent for just talking, don't I? The, uh... I just cut the recording, and that last recording was two hours long. Some of its silences are going to be edited out while I was looking at pages or whatever, but... Fuck. (laughs) It's almost like I've been running a Let's Play channel for nine years. It might have a certain proficiency for just fucking talking forever. I don't know. I always feel bad about these things, but then everyone's like, no, that's why we're here. We're we're fucking used to it. We would have left by now if we didn't like this. (laughs) This is not the go-to if you're one of those people that's like Googling a a Witcher review that's expecting scripting and editing and conciseness. It's like, no, this is for when somebody wants to hear somebody fucking just some boring lo-fi nerd rant about it for three hours, apparently. Well, we're ready to go to episode four now. Three, three. Only that far deep. We're gonna. Some of these are gonna be lightning rounds a little bit, though. I don't have a lot to say about some of these. 
So episode three is Betrayer Moon. Some of the things that I've said about Siri and uh, Yennefer have already happened at this point uh, because I kind of went ahead with both of their storylines so we could focus on Geralt a bit more because Geralt's episodic, but Yennefer and Siri kind of aren't. They're kind of just a continuous storyline. So Betrayer Moon is the Striga storyline, which is actually the first Witcher story. You open up the last wish and you open up to the first story and you, I was gonna say you get the voice of reason, but no, you get you get a story called The Witcher. See, it's even it's even named The Witcher because it's the story that introduces you to The Witcher. Uh, that's what episode three of the show is. That's where you fight the Striga, and that was my example I mentioned earlier about how like the show just the book just starts like he's using his potions, he's using his powers, he's fighting monsters, engaging in with politics with groups and so on, and doing all these really specific things and you kind of have to just roll with it and you're kind of learning as you go what all this stuff means and why it's happening this way which i kind of which like i said before i like i dig uh this one does in episode three it's largely fine the striga stories not I, I don't remember being massively complicated it is the intro chapter of all of the witcher's books in the first place so generally speaking there's not a ton to cover so there, this one doesn't suffer as much from being abridged the way that the other storyline was. Because the other storyline, not only does it have like what might be the highest density of, of Yennefer interference of all back in episode two, but also had to introduce Dandelion. Whereas this one, I think Dandelion might not have even been in this episode at all. And also, this is not as uh, difficult to abridge of an episode in general, and there might be less. The the NFR storyline might have taken up less of the overall duration in episode three than four. Uh, but basically, the Striga is this horrible creature that has an entire castle all to its own, ne- on like the edge of like a town or something, and just and and people just guard the boundary and don't let anyone in because they will die because uh, the Striga is just this horrible monster. And apparently, it sometimes it goes out and hunts people in the middle of the night and gets them and then goes back to its lair. So it's it's a it's a problem. There's like a vampire werewolf monster in this castle that no one can deal with. And it's been there for seemingly uh, over a decade, I guess. Uh, turns out it's a curse. Uh, it was King Fol- Yeah, it was King Foltest, I think, in this case. Uh, King Foltest was sleeping with his sister, but her sister also had another lover, another, another lover and that lover tried to curse one of them it might have even been the king full test but it ultimately resulted in i think the mother dying and the woman and the and the do- the daughter that that woman was present uh pregnant with became the striga in this case i think the curse killed the mother and then the striga was this unborn baby that like clawed out of her body basically because that's birth is in general childbirth is a scary thing in the witcher universe there's a lot of different versions of the scary bad things there's there's uh there's demon babies clawing out of the corpses of their mothers there's uh abortions that turn into monsters and so on uh that one shows up in the witcher 3 uh but in this case the uh uh most of the storyline is Geralt going back and forth and kind of realizing exactly who uh, who the striga is uh what the curse is who made the curse and so on so it's like he was just hired to kill this thing but there's people who don't want him to kill it and he's like that's interesting 
but then he keeps finding out why different people do and don't want the thing killed and also he starts he you know slowly unpacks the mystery of like that the Strigas actually was the unborn baby of this person and there was a curse made by that person and you know untangles the whole political web where by the by the from the beginning to the end of the story you have different ideas entirely of what the entire premise was and that's most good witcher storylines is that you get a you get a you get a, a a mission statement or gets hired for something at the beginning and then you find out layer upon layer of reason of like what actually is happening and then the thing gets resolved usually and it, and it's a good first story for the witcher in the books because it is he's a monster slayer he's a monster hunter and he doesn't kill the monster he cures the monster and is just like oh okay I'm curious to see what this uh, Geralt guy is going to get up to over the course of the next, like, 800,000 pages of book. Because this is a good start. And uh, there might have, there's probably differences between the show and the book, but they didn't stand out to me. Generally speaking, I'm like, this is, this is fine. This is good enough. Sure. So, story four of ba- Banquets, Bastards, and Burials. This actually might be one of my favorite episodes of The Witcher show. And it's also one of my favorite episodes of one of my favorite stories of these two books so far, uh, which is, let's see, is it the Sword of Destiny or is it a question of price? Because apparently it's, it's saying that, that this uh, episode adapts both of them, and I don't necessarily remember which one is which off the top of my head. Question of price. The Child of Surprise. Yeah. What is the Sword of Destiny? Oh, okay. That's what I thought. Okay, so yeah, I gotcha, I gotcha. So the sort of, uh, question of prizes from the Last Wish book, whereas Sword of Destiny is from the Sword of Destiny book. It's the what the whole book is named after. So this episode, do, this is the episode that does double. So it, it it focuses entirely on the law of surprise, both at the beginning and end points, kind of, but does it wrong, which is frustrating. I feel like this would have been better if they stuck to the original narrative of how Geralt meets Ciri, but because they didn't, it's kind of a mess. So what happens is that Geralt is invited to a party. I don't remember why he's at the party necessarily in the book, but in the show, it's because Yaskir might get murdered at this party because people are mad at him. So he's like, so Geralt, uh, he pushes Geralt to be like, hey, you know how I've been helping you out with all those, uh, you know, your reputation and your job and all that? If you could just do me a solid and, like, make sure I don't die tonight at this party, that'd be nice. And so that's the that's the reason why Geralt's there in the show, at least. And it's just, uh, it's the, <gasps> the Queen of Sintra. I thought she was dead. And this is, like, one of those moments where you're realizing that Geralt's storyline takes place before Ciri's storyline because you saw... You saw the Queen of Sintra die in Ciri's storyline, but here she is at this banquet. And she's with with a girl who looks a lot like Ciri, but maybe a little older, but also definitely not the same actress or anything. And and it's like, oh, this is a banquet about marrying off the Queen of Sintra's daughter. Gotcha. So that means she's going to eventually... uh, She's going to eventually uh, give birth to Ciri. So in the show, you have like foreshadowing elements here, which did not exist necessarily in the book, because in the book, Siri didn't exist at all, because Siri doesn't exist until she exists later when she's born. Uh, but you've been watching Siri for three episodes now, so you're like, oh, Siri, and that's her that's her grandmother. So that so that must be her mother. Okay. 
and th they just have this big banquet. All these different suitors are trying to cl uh, claim the hand of this daughter of Sintra. And the Queen of Sintra in both the book and the show is a really good character that's well-developed and, like, she's kind of sassy and also, like, very sure of herself. And she's very politically minded and savvy and thoughtful and harsh and a bunch of other details that just, like, make her fun to read and fun to watch in both versions. Uh... And she has her own ideas of what she wants to do with this political marriage and what would be best for the kingdom and so on. But then a weird masked character comes in, we got a guy wearing a helmet, and he claims the law of surprise because he apparently saved the Queen of Sintra's husband, the late king. And the king uh, promised him the law of surprise. And the way that it works is basically you're promising the reward in the form of what you have but don't know that you have yet. So you, you'll when you return home from war, I guess the idea is that life has changed in the meantime and things are different, and you're gonna re, you're gonna find out that there's something you have that you didn't even know you had, and so that would be the thing that you then give to the person who saved your life, the law of surprise. So like you're, you're pledging away a thing that you don't even know what it is yet. A, an unfortunate, often. Like it seems everyone seems surprised when this happens, but it seems like almost one of the most inevitable outcomes is that uh, this tends to be babies. <laughs> it's, it often tends to be like, oh, you got your wife pregnant before you left for war. And now there's a child waiting for you when you got back because the, your war campaign was like years. So that child's now being promised away. Uh, and in this case, that's exactly what happened is that. Uh, is that uh, this masked character is claiming the daughter because of the law of surprise, because that was what the reveal was, is that their daughter was born in that time. Of, and so when he came back, when the, when the king came back, the daughter was the surprise. And so that's what this guy owns, which a few things going on here, which by the way, I think both in the show and the book, I think the queen of Sintra herself comments on how fucked up this is in general, uh, considering how women are treated in these stories, it is kind of refreshing for one, just to have a queen that is just ruling on her own and she makes her own choices and all that, and she gets to comment on the world around her a bit because the world around her is very not fair. Uh, and one of the ways that that manifests is like this law of surprise is like it's dudes promising away unborn babies. So one, one, you're taking away the agency of that person, but also like you're taking the agency from their own mother, like their own mother didn't get to prom didn't get to be involved in the choice to have to have their child be promised away but they have to respect this law of surprise and that's like deeply fucked up for a number of reasons and so that's uh so she doesn't have a lot of respect for this idea in and i think both the show and the book she's very not fond of the idea of actually respecting the law of surprise also there's like a fucked up age gap here cuz like the guy was already of fighting age and an adult before this person was even born due to the basic of how the law of surprise even works so like wow there's a huge age gap between the guy claiming the law of surprise and the woman in this case that's becoming claimed as the law of surprise and all that they at least conveniently waited so far into the future that like she's of like legal age and all that so it's just like a creepy age difference not like a really bad problem age difference in the other way because she's an adult now at least or something approximating one in this medieval setting as opposed to being like an eight-year-old or whatever or a two-year-old because because the, the other detail is that he's in love with her 
It's like he's in love with his own pledged law of surprise baby. So it's like it's rather fortunate that it's like she he's not showing up until this this child's uh like marrying day banquet and so on instead of like way sooner otherwise this would be a way creepier storyline but it's still pretty on the edge uh but basically it's revealed that not only is there this whole law of surprise but uh the daughter also loves him back and so on and this is what they want and the queen of Sintra is 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 fighting this and uh it becomes uh, 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 apparently a detail that like destiny is a physical force in this universe because fighting against the law of surprise has physical ramifications in that like a this giant explosion of spell starts happening around them there's like they're like in this tornado there's like a there's like a, a storm happening inside the building and stuff like that and pushing everyone back because they're defying uh these two people's destinies and so on which is interesting and also like in the show i think they might have uh wrapped it up a bit more partly because they're leading so heavy on, on destiny all season long that this was like the moment to really show how important destiny is supposed to have so the queen refuses the law of surprise and this happens and then explosion of force and it's like everyone has to respect this this is clearly a real thing and so everybody gives in and also the the masked guy was a hedgehog <laughs> he had a hedge he, he had a he had a hedgehog like head with a little funny nose and spikes on his head and everything which is kind of funny uh and i guess uh uh the queen giving her blessing for their marriage then lifts his curse and so on and uh that character is going to be important later for a number of reasons but uh everyone's like oh thank you Geralt for resolving this problem what can I what could I possibly <clears throat> what could I what could I ever repay you is what the hedgehog says basically and Geralt like doesn't really want anything but then when he keeps demanding them he's like he's like okay fine <sighs> what about the law of surprise and he says it like in a joking way because he doesn't really mean to get anything out of this he just wants to move on with his life and these people insist on rewarding him for the situation when he really wants to move on so he's like, whatever, the law of surprise. Because the law of surprise supposedly usually just results in, like, a trinket or something. Like, some random item, not a baby. But, lo and behold, it results in a baby again. Because immediately, like, the law of surprise. And then they reveal that the, the, the girl that was just pledged away for law of surprise in the first place, she's already pregnant. And the hedgehog knight didn't know that yet. So... That means their baby is the surprise baby again. So oh, uh, a, uh, a person just got pledged to Geralt, which will later be a series. Uh, that's a lot of that's roughly one to one with the book. I'm pretty happy with both the book and the movie versions of it. Uh, what I'm less happy about is that this is the same episode where Siri uh, just goes into the woods. Is it the episode where they go into the woods or they leave the woods or whatever? But like the the Siri in the Woods storyline is handled here. And it might have been more meaningful if if they wanted to do both storylines at once. It might have been more meaningful if they showed Geralt saving Siri from the woods in the same episode where Siri was pledged to him in the past. Like doing the future and past storylines in the same episode might have been more meaningful. But instead because like those two have those two have connection to each other. There's the there's the story where where Siri becomes bound to Geralt and the and then the story where Geralt actually follows up on finding Siri and taking her into his care. So like you could bind those two stories together. The problem is they decided not to do the second one at all. Not just in this episode, but they just 
deleted the entire storyline where Geralt goes into the woods to save her from this this like magic indoctrination group thing uh and instead she just leaves of her own free will uh which kind of undercuts the parallels there but they still made them parallels by having them in the same episode so it's like if on paper if you were reading like oh this one's based on the question of price and sort of destiny oh i see what they're doing with that episode and you'd be very shocked to find out that they completely changed what sort of destiny is sort of like they did the they did the last wish in this chapter so there's two books, The Last Wish and Sword of Destiny, and they're both named after a short story in each book called The Last Wish and the Sword of Destiny. Each of them has like seven short stories-ish per book, but each of, but in each of those books, there is specifically the one short story that the book is named after. The Last Wish happens in this season pretty much as intended, but the Sword of Destiny just doesn't happen. Like this episode says it's an adaptation of Sword of Destiny from Sword of Destiny in the credit, but it's just not... Like, there just are the dryads, which I guess that's the idea, is they're, they're dryads, not elves. So that's maybe why they shot the elf earlier, but I thought they were... I, I made the mistake of thinking they were elves, perhaps. I think that's the mistake I made earlier. But, like, everything that happens in the actual sort of Destiny uh, short story just doesn't happen in the show. Instead, they take to just saying the phrase Sword of Destiny over and over again. They start talking about an actual Sword of Destiny that falls one way or the other. There's two edges to the Sword of Destiny is what they keep saying. And I guess like they they hope like the lip service to the title of the book will be enough. But it's like, I don't know. I can't help but feel like if a story is so important that they named the, he named the entire book after it, that that not telling that story in your in your in your show is kind of a mistake because like. Last Wish is when, it's actually really specific, like, Last Wish is when Yennefer and Geralt connect, and Sword of Destiny is when Ciri and Geralt connect. Like, it's really specific, like, those are the two of the most important characters, and that's how they're introduced to Geralt's life. And one of them they tell, and the other one they don't tell, but they call the episode, this, they name the episode after that idea, or, not, or, they, or, they, or they, they adapt it, but not like that, not in the way that it makes it meaningful enough that it would be named what the, what the whole book's named after. I don't know. I found that odd. Episode 5, Bottled Appetites. This one is an adaptation of The Last Wish. So, back to back, we have Sword of Destiny and The Last Wish being adapted in the series in a reverse order, which is slightly weird. Because the Last Wish came out first and chronologically happens sooner than Sword of Destiny in the books. But like I said, Sword of Destiny isn't really actually adapted in the show. They just kind of do some of the things, but not in the way that it would be meaningful to Geralt anyway. But so, I guess it doesn't really matter. They're out of order. But the Last Wish is when we start to let the story breathe a little bit better. Like the first story, like season one... I'm not season one. Uh, episode one kind of had some breathing room because there weren't as many characters, and Bottled Appetites kind of gets back to that because Yennefer no longer is taking up a chunk of the story anymore uh, for her doing her own thing because suddenly Yennefer's story is in Geralt's story because this is the last wish, the story where Geralt meets Yennefer for the first time in the books. So aside from a, a brief aside with Siri in the episode to eat up a little bit of time. Mostly you get the entire hour just with Geralt and Yennefer doing the, the Last Wish storyline. And it's pretty... Yeah, I don't really have complaints about this one. I, I was... This was good. This was an all, this was an all right time. Uh, it starts with... Uh, I, I have one complaint. 
I just remembered. <laughs> it starts with Geralt frantically fishing in a river for this, uh, he's frantically fishing in the river for this, uh, this genie lamp, basically. And he eventually finds it, but, uh, Yaskier is like kind of taunting him while this is happening and he doesn't believe in genies and all that. And also he's like kind of just generally ribbing Geralt and Geralt snaps at him and mentions that, that, that like he can't sleep. Like something's wrong with Geralt here. He looks frantic and, uh, he looks like, he almost looks like a cornered animal. Like he looks dangerous and vulnerable and it's a unusual look from Geralt and it sets up a really interesting thing where I'm, I'm looking forward to like seeing an episode or even episodes of Geralt dealing with whatever's going on with him as he gets maybe increasingly erratic and out of control. And as far as I can remember, it never comes up again. I think that's it. <laughs> like that's my criticism of the episode is that like, I don't think, I think they set up like an unhinged Geralt and then he never is like that again. Uh, it might be because just like his sense of duty overtakes him or whatever. We'll get to that, but I don't know. It seemed iffy, but, uh, so they, they find the lamp and, uh, immediately Yaskier just starts making wishes and they're really self-serving, selfish wishes. And, uh, and they're also like really wasteful. Like he's just, anything, he's just saying things that come to the top of his mind and he immediately says two things and then his throat is attacked and now it's a concern. It's like, oh no, Yaskier, he can't speak. And uh, how is he ever going to sing again? His, all, his, his throat is his career. And also, is he going to die in the long term? Maybe. So that's concerning. So now Geralt's got to get him to anyone who can heal this magical wound. So like, on some level, I could accept the idea that like, maybe uh, Geralt's sense of duty to his friend overrode his exhaustion and his vulnerability and whatever was wrong with him at the beginning of the episode. But I, I think it was mostly just a clumsy attempt to set up the fact that, like, I guess as the season goes on, I think Geralt might be, it might be weighing on him the fact that he's supposed to be uh, going for Siri and it's supposed to be, like, he might be getting called to Siri by destiny and his refusal of that's making him frantic. But even then, I'm like, I don't know, it's been like, by the time that storyline happens, isn't she like 10 years old or something like, uh, like, is that a really a momentary thing that's going to happen to him? Or has he been struggling for years at this? It's hard to say because you can't tell how much time is jumping. This is why it's always iffy whenever this season tries to do stuff that's like overarching storylines is that it's hard to tell how to interpret it. Partly because the, you can't even really tell how much time's happening between storylines, which is part of why like the book's the book versions of these stories don't really have those kinds of through lines, but maybe it's the, maybe it's the pledging of, of, of Siri. That's why it's happening because, uh, you know, the question of price, the one where the, the child of surprise happens was last episode. So maybe they're trying to build on that, even though we don't really know when it is right now. Cause like even Yaskier was like, wow, Geralt, I haven't seen you in years at the beginning of this episode. So like time has passed. It's the question of price, but apparently Geralt can't sleep, I guess. And it never comes up again. I think I could be wrong, but I think it never comes up again. So in the book, when Yaskir's throat gets attacked, I think the assumption, which I, I don't, maybe isn't said in the show, but I think it's said in the book, the assumption is that the genie wants to go free and doesn't want to be in its, its it doesn't want to be captive anymore. 
So it attacked him before he could make his third wish, the last wish, uh, because then he then he could ro roam free in the world and be free of this. If his master dies before the last wish, or or just can't make the wish, then he's then there he goes. Uh, and so they go seeking magical healing, uh, and uh, they're trying to get Yennefer to help them, and mixed results there uh but it, it, one of the culminations here is that it ends up with uh with wit, the witcher uh Geralt being in a cell when there's a and there's a person that's attacking him and he's just like I wish you would just fucking he's like any last words witcher and he's like I wish you would just fucking burst and then he bursts the guy explodes and is very dead and here's the moment we realize oh Yaskier's wishes weren't happening. Geralt's the one making the wishes. And so he's the one who has the last wish. Because earlier when he asked for just a moment of peace. And that's what led to uh, Yaskier's uh, being attacked. It wasn't the uh, genie that did it of his own free will. It was that Geralt's wish was interpreted as an attack on Yaskier. And that's why he was attacked in the first place. So it's Geralt's fault that Yaskier is mortally wounded right now, and it's Geralt's fault that this one guy just exploded, although not everyone no one no one really cares about that guy. So he's the one that has the last wish. At this point in uh as far as I'm aware, the book and the show largely line up until now, and I don't remember if this part lined up necessarily, but uh in the sh in the show, Yennefer kidnaps uh Yaskier, because his plan, her plan is to use uh, Yaskier, the power of Yaskier's last wish to sort of absorb the genie's power, and she thinks that she might be able to use that in order to fix her uterus problem, uh, which is a problem when, uh, you know, Yaskier doesn't have the last wish. Uh, in particular, I think, I think the idea is that she does. She puts runes on herself that's gonna make the her body the new home of the genie or something, and so the genie is gonna be forced into her when the last wishes happen happens. But then when she summons the genie, it starts attacking her, and uh, Yaskier tries to make wishes and they don't work because he never had the wishes in the first place. It was always Geralt, uh, so she's being like torn apart. But Geralt comes in and she and he makes a wish. And then the the situation is resolved, but not to her liking because he, it, she doesn't get the power, but it does stop her from dying at least. And it resolves the last wish, the genie's gone, all that. Uh, in both the book and the show, you don't know what the wish was. He just whispers something in the show on camera and you don't know what it is. Uh, and... There have been fan theories for decades about what the fuck the wish is. Because all we know is that it somehow makes the genie go away. Everyone survives the situation. But now uh, Yennefer and Geralt are bound to each other and love each other forever. So that's just... <laughs> that's a thing to unpack. Uh, but now they have to love each other forever and they can't stop loving each other. Uh, and so that's just kind of going forward from here on out. Uh... So good luck interpreting whatever the the wish was. People have a few ideas, but there's, there's like articles you can read about it, but no one actually knows for 100% sure. I think there's been one or two theories that the author has like outright said are wrong, but he's never said any of them are right. And I feel like he kind of 
just wanted to make it do whatever he wanted it to do, but didn't actually necessarily know what to say to make that wish happen. So he just left it ambiguous and just made it a magic wand that does everything he wants it to do, essentially to bind these characters together, I guess. But uh, yeah, this is largely vaguely equivalent to the books, and I, I don't really have much to say about this. But next up is two of the worst episodes of the season. <laughs> this is the longest fucking podcast I've ever made. Why do I do this? Uh, it's also not the longest podcast I've ever made. So next up is Rare Species. And I'm kind of mad about this episode. In general. Yeah. And also, I'm going to mispronounce this guy's name a lot, but it's a vill- it's the villain, the villain Trettenmirth. Villain Trettenmirth. Yeah. It's the villain Trettenmirth episode, the Golden Dragon, which uh, I don't remember if he was referred to in Witcher 3 necessarily, but when, when we were playing Thronebreaker on this channel, uh, that's what Ike kept referring to, or Ek, or Ek. The, the honorable knight on the horse and all that. He referred to like a past incident where he got his ass kicked by villain Trettenberth, the dragon, uh, in the past. Uh, cause, and uh, villain Trettenberth, uh, I guess minor spoilers for, for Thronebreaker, but uh, it's not, it's really hard to call it a spoiler. It's like an Easter egg, really, that's implied based on how. The, it's, it's it's a spoiler about the framing device of Thronebreaker is the reveal that Thronebreaker's entire story, the narrator, was Villain Trettenmirth, the dragon, who is also known as like Three Jackdaws, I think. He has like a nickname because he, he uh, can disguise himself as a person. <clears throat> so the entirety of what Thronebreaker was told from his perspective, it was him kind of reaccounting the legend of, you know, the stuff that happened in the game. And so that's what... So, like, that character's interesting enough and significant enough that CD Projekt Red decided to make him the narrator for an entire game they made. That's how interesting and, and important Villain Trettenworth is supposed to be. And this book, this this show doesn't really do that much service, I would say. So, right off the bat, we're, out, we're, out, we're off on a good start. We have Geralt and we have Yaskier and we have Yennefer in a story together so once again they're all in the same storyline together so the story is going to get more time to breathe and it's not going to be uh so truncated between two different points of views like like the season was until last episode uh so that's a good start but yeah we'll get to this so it starts with villain Trettenmirth in the form of three jackdaws meeting yennefer i mean meeting uh meeting Geralt trying to three jackdaws is trying to hire him to go hunt this dragon that's uh that everyone's going after there's a big king's party going after it and and yennefer at first girl doesn't want to do it but then he sees yennefer walk in and she's part of the crew of another one of the crews that's going after the dragon so he's like okay sure because until then he was like i don't hunt dragons they're intelligent and also wildly dangerous and a bunch of other problems but because dragons are sentient he doesn't want to kill them because that they're both rare and they're rare and they're intelligent which as we said before are two of his characteristics that don't kill rules uh this is really underdeveloped but uh let's see jack dawes has is like this short old man and he's got two tall women that are guarding him and people when people are like why are you why are you hanging around with this guy how much is he paying you and he's like 
No amount of money would be... No, we do not accept money. That does not corrupt our our behaviors or whatever. And they're like, and like, what? What? Then why are you with this guy? He's just like, because he's beautiful. He's the most beautiful. Like that. Like they're they're being cagey with this idea. Like they're they're really into three jackdaws, even though it seems like they shouldn't be by most outside eyes, or at least by as especially by Yaskier's perspective. He's just kind of confused by this. But it's like it's, it's kind of setting up the twist. Ooh. Uh, they so he, all these different parties of people all are all go up the mountain to reach the uh, dragon, and it's a difficult trick uh, trek. And some of them are betraying each other, and some of them have friction with each other. And there's like, there's the knight that wants a title. There's the king that's orchestrating all this is on the trip itself. Uh, there's a group of like dwarven uh, mercenaries. There's another creepy group of like, I think there might be Skelliger raiders or something like that, or like other dangerous people that are less likely to cooperate with everything. Uh, Yennefer's there. Geralt's there with three jackdaws. They're all going to go hunt this dragon. Uh, and like this group or that group tries to take a shortcut to get there before the other group and other stuff's happening and various betrayals happen along the way in both versions of the narrative. Uh, a weird choice is made in the show, which is that Ek or Ike or I'm bad at this name. I should just get this name right so that I can stop going over it. Hey, Anvela, Bra, Crave. There's so many names to scroll through here. Uh, Ike of Danel. Of Danel. Yeah. Ike of Danel. E-Y-C-K is his name. He's the... But yeah, he's the guy that was riding on horseback and had a lance in a Thronebreaker. Which is about to become a problem because he dies in this episode. <laughs> and he's not supposed to die in this episode. Uh, a random rare creature that looks like a starving bear... Uh, shows up and Ake chops it up and then keeps chopping like way too far. He kind of comes across as a dumbass all episode, and like he's 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 high on his own fumes and he's really cocky and insufferable. And then he gets killed off camera, shitting himself. Like he was he like he ate something bad and he was shitting himself and then he's found dead. And that character just comes and goes so quickly that you're like i don't even know why they even included that character in this episode like why did they establish him if they weren't even going to do anything with him is it is, is it once again just another case of like well he's in the source material so he's got to be there just like the guy just like the the satyr what are they called sylvan that was throwing the metal balls like is it another case of just insisting that we have to include the character that was in the source material even if we don't do anything with them because that seems to be what they did with ike ike is that they just they just kill him off and then move on, and he doesn't matter anymore. Uh, but anyway, when they when they reach the actual uh, dragon, there's some interesting reveals. Uh, oh yeah, I should mention that along the way, three jackdaws falls off a cliff, and so do his guards, and you never see them again for a while. And they're like, oh no, they're dead. Uh, you meet up with the dragon. Uh, you you reach the dragon's den, and, you, and there's the reveal of like, oh. The dragon everyone came here to hunt is already dead. There's just this big dead dragon in the cave. But there's a gold dragon here. There's a where the fuck did this gold dragon come from? Uh that's and earlier in the story, uh three jackdaws was mentioned gold dragons and uh 
And Geralt was like, gold dragons don't exist, they're a myth. It's like they're so rare that even the Witcher that always knows about creatures that other people think are myths and he knows they're real, even he thinks a gold dragon isn't real. So that's interesting. Because uh, there he is. There's, a, there's one right there. It's real. Uh, but then uh, there's also the detail of like, if there was any, if there was ever any gold, any gold dragons, they they went the way of all the other dragons and have likely died anyway. And and uh, three jackdaws says something along the lines of like, there's more than one way to survive and stuff like that. Uh, so here's the gold dragon, and there's a small there's a small difference uh, in the book. There's also a newborn dragon that's not old enough to fly, and so it can't leave this cave. And so now you know why the dragons were keeping this were sticking around in this cave this whole time, because. Uh, Normally the dragons flee from humans, so if, if if they knew the humans were coming, they would just take off, and so the humans wouldn't be able to hunt them this way. But they're staying at this cave, and this in in the sh- in the show's case, it's because there's an egg, and in the uh, and apparently moving the egg would kill the life inside of it somehow. Which is, usually eggs are better than that, but okay. Uh, in the uh, it's probably just a budgetary constraint, so you don't have to animate another dragon. But in the book, there's just a young dragon that's too young to fly, so it has to be raised in this cave for a bit before it can move on. So this is like the moment of vulnerability in every dragon's life, essentially. Uh, this dragon is telepathic and is communicating with all the people that are here to kill it. Uh, the uh, the gold dragon is the adult, and so the king the king's sitting there in his mobile party, and he's like kind of conversing with all these different factions that have, been, that have been hired to compete for accomplishing this goal and like you know whoever accomplishes this like they're gonna get like a title and they're gonna get all of this this uh the dragon's horde that's inevitably in the uh cave and so on uh so like there's rewards here and so people want these rewards uh and so different groups are sabotaging each other's attempts to go after the dragon and also engaging in different failed attempts to go after the dragon like ike in particular has this really humorous thing where he and the dragon converse and they agree on an honorable duel so no magic and no flying and no and no dragon breath it's just a battle of brawn the two of them are going to go at each other it's just going to be ike on his horse with his lance and the dragon being a dragon what a stupid idea ike gets destroyed uh in, in one swoop, the dragon uh, just knocks the horse and Ike away, and Ike suffers some spine damage, and it's just like, he's out. He's out. As far as I'm aware, he survives. I don't know if he comes up again in the books ever again, but in the uh, in Thronebreaker, he's like he's still alive and kicking and doing things, because he's, he's a party member in Thronebreaker. Uh, but Ike is out, and all of his bluster about honor and so on has been all been leading up to just an embarrassing defeat. Uh... And a series of things different happen. It's it's a relatively complicated sequence of events. And eventually, amusingly, the, the king decides, boy, this isn't even worth the effort. And the king leaves, and he just calls off the entire reward and the promise of, like, land or title or whatever he was promising. And he just fucking leaves. Uh, he's like, whatever. Because, like, this is all a political gambit for him. He was going to use the, the defeat of this dragon as, like, a thing to increase his influence and help him get, like some throne or a marriage or whatever the fuck he's going you know political reasons and he just leaves and so everybody that was there just for the reward from him also leaves and so on but like i think one of the other pirate groups or whatever i think it's this this the crinfrid reavers they stick it around because you know whatever the dragon has a horde of gold in there right so we'll still go, we'll hunt the dragon we don't need the, the king's reward 
So like there's a there's a whole evolving thing here, right? Like I, I'm not going to perfectly summarize every detail of it, but like there's a story being told here. So in the show, they get to the dragon's den. I'm not. No, I'm actually not quite ready to say that yet. But uh, after the after this whole scenario is resolved uh, in the book, there is eventually the reveal that like you reveal, you find out much later that that villain Tretonmirth, the the gold dragon that was there, was actually uh, it was actually three jackdaws all along. So three jackdaws is alive, and he was actually a dragon the whole time, and. And like that's that's that was the twist in the story of the book. In the show, they arrive at the den, and it's first of all they took a shortcut. So like when they're arriving there, it's just Yennefer, and then shortly thereafter, Geralt and and I think uh, I think Gaskier got left behind. Uh, and the two guards of Jackdaws both come out, and they're like, "What? How are you here? I thought you died." And then and then you see. Uh, and then you see villain Tretonmirth come down, and he's this giant golden dragon, and <laughs> he just fucking shows up, and he immediately explains who he is, which, like, because they, they showed these two guards, they just immediately, like, gave away that villain Tretonmirth was three jackdaws. It's not like an end-of-the-story reveal that he was him the whole time. The moment you see villain Tretonmirth, they immediately explain that he was three jackdaws the entire time. And then he awkwardly uses his telepathy to, like, exposit the entire situation of, like, how he he hired... He specifically brought the Witcher along because he's the one person that won't kill dragons. And this was his plan all along. And it is me, I, three, three jackdaws. This was my scheme. And all the plot twists is explained in really overt terms. And then everybody else shows up, and then a, just a generic battle scene happens where everybody is defeated. That was there to kill the the, uh, the to, to to kill the dragon. So like, much like the uh, the Sylvan episode, the entire scenario was wrapped up in like minutes. And it's like, oh, I was looking forward to the you know the story happening where like. There's all these different factions that are competing for their different interests and each one different res- resolves, it reacts to different things in different ways and like, and the king leaves, which that changes the motivation of certain characters and there's also like the comical defeat of Ike and all these different elements that'll happen just don't happen in the show. Like, oh, okay. Cool. There's a part in the book where they tie up Yennefer and she has to cast spells with her feet. She has to draw runes with her feet in order to do things because she's tied up and all she, and she only has the slightest bit of access. I think it was specifically she... Uh, yeah, Yennefer and Geralt are both tied up and Geralt uses the Igni sign to burn her bonds. But he warns her like she's going to end up burning him. Uh, he's going to end up burning her. But she's like, it's the only way we're, it's the only way we're getting out of this. So like she... Like he's he's he, she like he burns her leg and the bonds in order to get her free. And then she uses her burning her burned foot to like draw these runes in the ground in order to cast these spells and stuff like that. And it's like this is like this is interesting. It's also like it complements 
I almost feel like they cut this and they meant to include it because like earlier in the season when they're showing Yennefer getting her transformation, she specifically doesn't use the anesthetic. So she's in horrible pain the whole time. So she's weirdly like willing to go through great pain in order to uh, get what she wants in a lot of these situations. And that's that's reinforced here when she is willing to, to be burned in order to defeat these people. And, uh, and just none of this happens at all in the show. Instead, they just arrive on the location. The dragon just exposits the entire plot twist in a few seconds. And then a generic fight happens where none of the factions matter because just a bunch of dudes run in and they all get beaten up by Yennefer and Geralt and villain Trettenmurth, who himself just uses fire. So you're kind of wondering why he couldn't just do this himself. Like, why did he need to help in the first place if he could just burn all of them down and and like the the whole fight's over in a couple minutes and the king was never there in the first place so there is no leader to the group it's just a bunch of individual bands that were all hired on this expedition and it's just like it's just so when you're expecting like interesting stuff to happen this is so uninteresting the most interesting thing is just the reveal that three jackdaws was a dragon but it's the fact that it's just explained outright by the dragon and is not any kind of interesting realization by Geralt given away by any kind of clue or anything is really boring. But also the fact that like, I think three jackdaws is wearing an entire shirt made of golden scales. And then he keeps dropping hints about golden dragons and how there's other ways to survive. And his two guards are like, he is the most beautiful and stuff like that. Like, I feel like there's so many hints that he's the gold dragon that it's maybe that um, a lot of the audience might already have figured it out before you even, have him awkwardly explain the twist to you by just by just narrating it and it's like this is i know this was an interesting and kind of amusing and fun extended story with a bunch of twists and turns and went that went in a bunch of different directions in the book and in the show it's just eh. it's like what dragons 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 i'm the dragon big fight the end it's like how it's it's the point where I actually I have trouble thinking about how this took an hour because these are hour long episodes and I have trouble thinking about like how was that an hour long episode because like they didn't really it didn't feel like an hour long an hour of story like I've I've, I've watched some pretty well paced shows that can do a relatively complex story over the course of uh, an hour of, of TV and I'll remind you all these episodes are a full hour they're not 40 minutes they're not the 42 minute hour that daytime television has that is commercials as these are hour-long episodes some of them are longer than hour long uh and like this was just i don't know it's like it's token gestures towards the idea but like i keep talking to people about the show and everyone seems to like it so maybe if you don't know about the missed opportunity maybe you still enjoy it but i feel like the story is still really abrupt and clumsy and not particularly interesting so i feel like it might still be I feel like people watching it without the context might still have a sense that something's wrong with like the way it's edited or the way that it's presented. Like if there's something like it feels like it's too like things are resolved too quickly and too forced. Speaking of forced, this episode ends with the lowest point of the season where everyone's really sad and angry at each other. Boo hoo, hoo hoo hoo. Uh, where Geralt and Yennefer are mad at each other and Yaskier and Geralt. Geralt's mad at y- Yaskier and, and t- finally like gets him to fuck off and like everyone's at the their, like the party is at the emotional lowest point which is awkward because yes because uh narratively 
Like, like I get what they're doing. We're about to have the penultimate episode of the season, so it's time to be all dramatic about like these people's feelings and like this is about this is when emotions would be frayed in the narrative. But nothing about this dragon quest really had anything to do with the party. So them being at each other's throats doesn't isn't really informed by the dragon quest itself. At most, it's just the fact that uh at most, it's just the fact that Yennefer keeps trying to find solutions for her infertility. And so last time it was the genie, and now it's the dragon egg. It was supposed to be the idea. So I guess there's that. Uh, so I guess she fails. So she is angry. So she and Geralt go at each other. And like she kind of highlights the fact that like there's like a... She can't differentiate whether she loves Geralt or whether it's just the curse. They're kind of on edge about that. But like just narratively, the fact that the episode wasn't about building up this conflict at all... And also these characters only met last episode for the first time makes it really feel forced that they suddenly have this weird lowest point at the end of the episode where they're all mad at each other and so on. Uh, I'm not that surprised that Geralt's mad at Yaskier because he's always mad at Yaskier in this version of the show. Uh, and uh, I guess this might be another version of like last episode started with with Geralt being all crazy eye and like haggard. So maybe this is the next version of that is... And now his crazy eyes and haggard is, is him like culminating and like wanting to get rid of Yaskier or something. But like it's just the fact that like you finish the dragon storyline and then it just switches gears to like and now the party of people that barely have interacted are all mad at each other. And this is the low point of the season and they all part ways is like, huh? It's also not entirely meaningful to have these characters part ways in an emotional conflict when like they haven't been together all season. Like, Yaskier and Geralt have been around for a few episodes now, but, like, Yennefer and Geralt met last episode for the first time, and they mostly met at the end of the episode, too, so it's like, we they, we don't really get a sense that these two have, like, much of a thing, necessarily. It's one thing when it's the books, because they're a bunch of standalone stories that aren't con con uh, connected, but when you're trying to make a show that has a through line with the emotions that a season of television tends to have, it feels really weird and forced and like those, which is why these kinds of things don't ha didn't happen in, in those stories. Uh, they might happen later in the more continuous stories that I need to get to, but like, yeah, it just feels a lot. It feels all out of place and weird here. And I just don't really approve of that. So for me, this was like a low point of the season is these two episodes because Rare Species was a really not great version of the villain Trentonworth story. But also it ends on such a weird, awkward, forced moment. And so I didn't know what to think about that. I don't know. It was weird. Meanwhile, Ciri's just kind of off in the woods having adventures where people are trying to capture her. And she keeps getting away and so on. So it's not very interesting either. But then comes the worst episode of the entire season. Which is Before the Fall. And this is the one I talked about before, but this is the penultimate episode of the season. So it's time for the big climax. And it's just the fall of Sintra again that we've already seen. So you get to watch like the queen die again and fall out of the window. But then it's smash cut and <gasps> when she fell out of the window and died on the floor there, Geralt was hiding behind a cart right there and saw it happen. Wow. That's worth showing for some reason. I'm glad we're watching the whole Fall of Sintra again so that you can thread Geralt throughout the events, but he doesn't influence any of the events. At most, the, that charitably, the best I can think of is the fact that, like, the Child of Surprise episode was about how destiny is mandatory, essentially, and if you defy destiny, bad things happen. 
So I think by having Geralt show up and ask to take Ciri away, and they refuse to let him have Ciri, the idea here is that uh, by refusing to give them him Ciri, they basically made the fall of Sintra happen, I think is what they're implying here uh, by doing this. And... So like that, I think that's the I, that's best I can think of. That's like the reason why they're showing Geralt throughout this episode as being like retconned into the. It feels like retconning too. It really does. Like it's weird. Like this is the same season, so it was all made at the same time ish. So it's not really a retcon necessarily, not in the normal sense. But it totally feels like one of those things that happens when a fantasy show runs for a while or a sci-fi show runs for a while, and like. Three seasons later, you show like a flashback where it shows what a, another character was doing during a major event that you guys saw seasons ago, and they're kind of retconning elements, certain elements of that thing by showing what that guy was doing during that thing, and it changes your perspective on stuff. It's like that, but it's happening in the same season, so it feels really weird because it's like, oh, here's what Carol was doing during the fall of Sintra, that thing that happened this season. I don't know why we didn't just show you this then. Uh, and this really just highlights my thing I said before, which is that I really feel like the fall of Sintra should just not be in the first episode. Just let us meet the Queen of Sintra during the episode where the uh, the uh, Child of Surprise thing happens. And then reinforce her a few times. Like, sometime between... Because, like, the, uh, the Child of Surprise thing was episode four. This is episode seven. So you have two episodes in between. You're already spending time on Ciri anyway, doing her stupid runaway storyline that she keeps happening. I really feel like in this time you could show Siri's mom give birth to Siri or not necessarily show the birth, but like you just show like, oh, here's Siri and someone like just show, you know, that she has a baby and then just show those scenes of like Siri interacting with the townspeople and interacting with her, her parents or her, uh, like maybe, maybe show something about like what happened to her mom. Cause her mom's out of the picture for whatever reason, but I think I know why, uh, show siri interacting with her uncle and her grandmother like she does in the first episode just show those in episode six and seven like instead of this bullshit that's happening with her in the the real show we got like you could show those scenes over the course of those other episodes so that you build up the idea of like oh those like those characters from uh those characters we met in episode four for the first time they're they're interesting look at them raising siri this is nice oh they got a little rapport this seems nice and then in episode seven you have your big climax of like oh god he took an arrow to the eye in that one battle and you have that really cool scene where the queen of Sintra screams over her wife her over her husband's body with the arrow sticking out of his eye and goes charging at that one person that did it and like all these other things that happen like i'm just thinking of like what if all those seasons happened what if all those really climactic scenes that happened in the first episode happened at the end of the season when we know these characters better and care about them more like it would have been a better climax wouldn't it if we saw like her her running through the battlefield screaming at that archer that took out her husband and like and her saying her final words to siri and falling out the window like all these things are like more climactic for a number of reasons like one because we know the characters better and and two because now we know that they're defying the we know that they're an act of defiance of the child of, of, the, of the law of surprise and they've brought this doom upon themselves apparently and Geralt's like there throughout it here and there and like being and he and like he's and he can't do anything about it and like all these things are happening that they kind of bring themselves upon themselves so like we better understand that and like having this all happen in the climax would just be 
more meaningful because we've spent because then it feels like the entire scene was building up to this uh, the whole season was building up to this episode we've introduced a bunch of concepts like the law of surprise and the Sintra kingdom and the invading Nilfgaard army and a bunch of other things are all building up to this climax and it all feels like a culmination of something but they tried to have their cake and eat it too because they they fucking bust their nut in the first episode and show all this stuff then and then they just show it again and at the end and so we're watching it again and I'm like Sure, you did technically build up to this, and this is kind of a culmination of all the different elements you've established all season. But, like, we've already seen this, so what the fuck? Why am I watching a clip show right now? It's like, I don't know why they... I have no idea why they framed the whole season this way. I'm so confused. But then we get something really interesting. So we end the season on a high note. So we're going to end this podcast on a high note. And, yeah... Like, overall, I'm a little more positive than I am negative. I'm pretty mixed and frustrated with the season, especially the three bad episodes I've mentioned. But uh, this, this final episode's pretty fun. So what happens in the final episode is the, the Sintra has fallen, everyone's thrown to the winds, and they also completely sidestep uh, Ciri and Geralt for the most part this episode. Geralt, at the beginning of the episode, gets gets mortally wounded by... I don't know, Neckers or whatever. It's one of the it's one of the the corpse eaty monstery things. There's a lot of those. Uh and so he gets bit, and so he's kind of out of it the entire episode. So some nice guy is just carrying him in a cart as like a thank you for saving him and all that. It's the chapter something more from the Sword of Destiny. And as far as I remember, a lot of this more or less happens akin it's 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 close enough to what happened in the show. I mean, in the book, is that these he's wounded, he's carried around, he has a bunch of like hallucinations about things that are all kind of expository about Geralt as a character. And here's the big difference of what they did is that uh, because the book is so committed to Geralt's perspective, we find out that there was this huge war, this big conflict at Sodden Hill. It's this place where all of the wizards came together to all band together to fight Nilfgaard in a final defiance against their evil and their conquering and so on. And they failed. And it's a it's it's powerful in the books. Uh, Geralt uh, looks at this obelisk and he's reading these names and it shows the list of names of all these different people who f who fell in the battle of all these mages. And it's just like, oh, that's a... That's a bummer. Like, all, all those mages died defying uh, the evil Nilfgaardian Empire. You don't get to see a battle, and it's but it's powerful in its own way of, like, establishing how dangerous Nilfgaard is and, how, and what the cost is to what it's doing by just showing this list of powerful, trained people who all gave their lives trying to resist them here and failed. But being a TV show that's not based on uh, Geralt's perspective, we get to spend an entire episode watching a mage battle, which is pretty fun. Uh, so there's mage, so these mages are at this location and they're just fighting the invading uh, Nilfgaardian army. It's actually a pretty cool thing overall, and I just had fun with this episode. So it's a decent final big hurrah for the show. Uh, it's also like maybe a point in the credit of the writers is the fact that this episode is entirely made up as far as i'm aware i don't think any of this is ever detailed in the uh books as far as i'm aware yet so 
this whole Battle of Sodden is them just making up a conflict featuring all of the mage characters they've established this season, including Triss and Yennefer and the the witch that trains Yennefer and some of the other characters. Uh, and also the one evil Nilfgaardian witch they've established since the beginning of the season. Uh, she's the one that's leading the other the other side of this conflict and like you get to see a bunch of cool magic things happening. You get to see how evil the Nilfgaardian Empire is because they they will have these witches cast such expensive spells that like they just dissolve in the dust because they they just have spent themselves. Which, on one hand, is kind of effective storytelling because it shows how ruthless Nilfgaard is that they can just throw mages away to fire one fireball. But at the same time, like they a witch dies to cast a fireball onto this catapult that they shoot at the base and then people on Yennefer's side just deflect it and it goes flying harmlessly in a different direction and then they do it again and you're like I feel really bad for I mean I feel bad for the first witch but I feel especially bad for the second witch that just turned into dust so they could fail to hit them with another fireball like that seems douchey but Credit to them, I guess they just wordlessly follow orders and die because they believe in the white flame and they're all religious zealots, I guess, so they're just happy to sacrifice themselves. Similarly, there's another guy who, like, does his own form of, like, suicide bombing where he, like, there's a lot of suicide bombing, actually, but this one guy, like, flies through the woods, expelling mist everywhere to cover the approach of the soldiers, and then right as he gets to the front door of the, uh, of, uh, of Sodden, he just collapses into a cloud and ceases to exist but this item he was carrying drops on the ground and that item releases mind control worms that lead to another, a bunch of people doing suicide bombing all over the entire base which pretty much makes the entire place fall and causes the end of the conflict is that these mind control worms make all these like it makes one of the witches try to murder uh, Yennefer and it makes a bunch of kids like pick up like explosive bottles and throw them at other explosive bottles to just like explode entire areas of the encampment and so on but like yeah that one guy just he just died like he just came in as a mist and then just died so that this thing can happen he's like the guy in and like he's like he's like, the, he's like that one orc in helm's deep that dives into the wall to blow it up and he's like oh damn that that orc really believed in his in his goal like he was willing to die for this pur- for this purpose apparently like, in my head, I'm always like, oh, it's one thing to be willing to die and that you're willing to fight and you might get killed when you're fighting. But it's a whole other thing when someone's will- so willing to die that they're just like, they just fucking blow themselves up in these storylines. You're like, oh, shit. That's a, I guess you got a true believer there. Uh, but at the same time, I find myself questioning the logic here because I'm like, like we all, like we, there, famously, there was always that intro cutscene for Witcher Three where Yennefer casts a big spell, and there's like a giant ring of dead grass around her because she sucked all the loving essence out of the world around her to cast that spell. And we have the we and we set up before the flower that they used to levitate the rock, and the flower would die in their hand because they're using that energy. Why did I don't know why these wizards have to die to cast a fireball, a fireball that we isn't even effective, by the way, like. So once you get past the idea of like, wow, Nilfgaard's so ruthless, they're so brutal, they'll just sacrifice their mages to cast a spell. Nilfgaard kind of starts to feel stupid, because like, they'll die to cast the spell, but like, even if you don't give a shit about them on like an individual basis because you're such a shitty, evil group of people or whatever, like, those mages 
take a lifetime to train. They're a huge resource intensive thing that's very rare and you need to keep a hold of in order to do these really cool, powerful things. Why are you just throwing them away to accomplish basically nothing? Like, this is idiotic, as far as I can tell. And also, like, the game, like, uh, the show has established these rules, kind of, about spellcasting, but not well enough. So, like, why can't they just, like, bring a cow? Like, or any livestock, like, a sheep or a cow, or even the horses that are around, like, they have horses. Wouldn't you, like, sap the living essence from the horse to cast a fireball? Does it have to come from yourself? Like, because they never established the idea that they can't cast it using outside influence, even though every other spell can seemingly be cast by outside energy, uh, it just feels like they're being stupid and, and suicidal for no reason, even though they only have so many mages, so they shouldn't want to, like, just throw them away to cast one fireball. You would think that they'd have, like, anything else to draw the the power from, so they don't just die to cast a fireball that then gets deflected and then do it again after that. Like, I don't know. I don't. I don't think that's very. It doesn't seem very smart. It makes it makes Nilfgaard and the witch that's ruling that particular attack just seem like jackasses that don't value their own resources. Even though that's how you lose a war is by recklessly throwing away all of your valuable resources. Like, I know that, like, Nilfgaard's, like, a fucking force of nature. They're, like, global warming, or, like, they're, like, the whites from... the the white walkers from Game of Thrones. Like, they're this giant, unstoppable force that, that basically doesn't even have to be justified. It just will win, is basically how these books and the game and so on seem to kind of handle them. But, like, I don't know. It just seems, like, weird to be that stupid. But that was really the standout thing for me this episode, I think, was that the, uh... Was just the, uh... The spell casting being weirdly self-destructive. Overall, I had fun with the mage battle. I had a good time. And uh, it kind of felt like because the show wasn't adapting a story, even though technically the Witcher being carted around in the B plot is technically uh, an adaptation of something more from Sort of Destiny, uh, that was basically just an explanation of why, of why Geralt's not in the episode. Because Geralt kind of doesn't do anything this episode. Uh... Instead, it's just this big Yennefer and Triss war, and that's a it's a fun thing to watch. And because they got to make it from scratch just for the show, they were able to pace it well and, like, plot it out. It didn't feel like it was edited like old fucky or m- having gaps of the story missing. It really highlights why sometimes the best way to adapt a universe is just to tell new stories in that universe that fit the medium you're using instead of trying to tell the stories that were told in the book in your new medium that's not a book. Because, like, you don't feel these weird adaptation problems from the game because the games make up new stories. But the show, like, everyone always talks about how, like, TV and shows are inherently different from books. And so, like, certain things will always change. And I and I point to that as with some of the stuff about how, like, they, re- they insist on having through-line characters that are in every episode, even if they shouldn't be, and so on. But, like, if you were making a new story from scratch... You wouldn't have to deal with that. And I feel like one of the reasons why much more is one of the best episodes of the season might be because of the fact that like it's not having to adapt anything. It just is. The only thing they're really adapting is the fact that Geralt found an obelisk in the books that lists all the people who died in this battle. They're just telling the battle from that story. So like they're not really adapting anything. If, they're, if anything, they're just making a sequel or a prequel to that story, kind of. 
And it's like the strongest episode of the season, basically. It's like the first episode and the the child of surprise and this episode are probably the strongest episodes of the season. Um, and it ends with Geralt and Ciri meeting each other, which was really weird. On one hand, like them being like, oh my God, people who are bound by destiny will always find each other and so on. Like it was kind of a fitting end to the season to have them just encounter each other that way. Uh, the way they were always meant to be, and so on, and it's such an, a happenstance thing of like, oh, Geralt randomly getting bit was like destiny forcing him to meet up with Siri because he got bit, and then a guy physically dragged him in a cart to where Siri was by accident, so they could meet finally. Like the happenstance of that, I appreciate, but the but it's really funny to me that like there's a whole there's a whole uh, there's a thing where like. <laughs> So Siri has to like she wakes up in this house because she was also taken in by this family because this family is just nice apparently and just takes people in. Siri runs into the woods and I get it because it's like Siri's all like I'm not I don't I, I'm not gonna let other people get hurt for me anymore because she, people kept people that took her in kept getting hurt for it. So she runs into the woods to go fend for herself. So she's back where she started the season at basically. But really what it feels like is like she had to run into the woods so the prophecy from the first episode would be true because Renfrey said that the girl in the woods is your destiny. So it's really fucking awkward because then what happens is Geralt gets carted out into the wood into this house and then they're like, oh, we found some girl. Yeah, a little orphan girl who's in the woods. And then Geralt just goes wide-eyed. Girl in the woods. And then she just... He just walks away. And it's funny because they never established that Siri ran into the woods. So nobody knows that. Like, as far as I'm aware, nobody has noticed yet that Siri has left the uh, her bedroom. So no one in that conversation says that she ran into the woods. But then Geralt just goes wide eyes and walked into the woods and just walks directly to Siri. And it's like, how did you know she was there? They were just talking about like how they just found a girl. And it's like, she was staying in the house. So that was slightly weird. And it's also just funny to me because like as a book reader, you're like, oh, the girl in the woods. Yeah, because she's going to be with the dryads. But then. No, it's those woods, which means that Siri had to run into the woods before Geralt got there. So the prophecy could be true. So it's like it's up there with like when I hear about like people explain the plot of Kingdom Hearts and how like there was this one scene where there's like a where Mickey is shirtless behind a door but then there's a prequel that establishes why Mickey was there. And right before they get to that part, Mickey takes his shirt off because they have to make the continuity right about how in order for that story to explain, make sense, he has to be behind a door with no, with no shirt. So like when you make a prophecy about Siri being in the woods, she has to go running out into the woods so that the prophecy could be true. And I'm like, I think the house is technically in the woods. She doesn't have to. All right. Fine. Fine show. It's cool. It's fine. <laughs> it was i just found it very silly but uh no the battle's fun uh, and overall this i don't know fun idea for a show hope it improves over time hopefully when they run out of short stories they'll be adapting a l more long form story and maybe it'll be more coherent and maybe it'll feel less like they have to force too much plot into too little airtime and also hopefully the characters will spend more time together so they don't have to do so many different perspectives because they seem to struggle with that 
And also, hopefully, they don't try any more non-linear storytelling with time where they like where all the different plots are out of sync with each other because I don't think they handled that as well. Like, I like the part where they respect the audience to understand that part, and I like the part where you're like, oh god, that character's supposed to be dead, but here they are. These must be out of sync. Like, a couple of those details are fun, but the overall, I think there it weighed on the entire season in a negative way. And I hope they don't do that next season, please. And also don't show your climax twice in the same season. Because that was weird. Anyway, see you guys next time. (laughs) This has been my way too long rant about a show that I watched. That was like a third of the duration of the show.